Welcome to episode number 63, 2015 Happy New Year Knife Journal Podcast. James Noka and I'm I'm, Kyle, <laughs> I'm his, his Versteg. Uh, co-host Kyle Versteg <laughs> and we're we're just recovering from New Year's everybody's New Year's nightmare yeah just it's our it's our New Year's dream because we're in bed by 10 o'clock <laughs> <laughs> yeah Jim texted me it would have been like 10 o'clock his time nine o'clock my time and I'd been asleep for a half an hour <laughs> isn't that funny yeah <laughs> I mean, I remember in the in the old days when I was when I'd stay up till like twelve o two just to just to call my mom and dad and say happy new year and then I'd go to bed. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, you know, I haven't been up. the The last time I was up on New Year's was probably for a New Year's Eve gig, and the last one of those was a, about three years ago, yeah. and that was under protest. <clears throat> under protest. Yeah, we don't. We just don't. Uh, we just don't celebrate like like we used to. I mean, we had a nice, we had a great dinner. I made um, a couple of lobster tails under the broiler and and, a, and some steaks, and uh, we drank a bottle of wine. And yeah, we were pretty much done by ten o'clock, you know. And and not to say that we're party poopers, we just but we got up at five o'clock the next day. Yeah, I, you know, yeah. New, say, New Year's Day, we were up at five o'clock. Yeah, it's it's every day for me. I get up at five, uh, depending on my motivation. I go to the gym, uh, work out, uh, you know, stay healthy, come home, have some coffee, listen to some NPR so I can keep an eye on the opposition, and to help perfect my <laughs> NPR voice. Oh my and, God! Our, it, my, right now, Fox is arguing with Dish Network, and so I don't have any Fox News. Okay. I'm freaking having withdrawals, man. I've been watching, <laughs> CN, watching CNN. What a bunch of weenies. Yeah. You know, I try I try to watch ABC. I try to watch NBC. Eh. I, it's just, <clears throat> it's all fluff. Yeah. Nothing serious, you know. And then they got the flight that crashed. Oh, yeah. I guess, I guess they're having a hard time getting... You know the water is so treacherous there. The, yeah, the, it's, and the it's, right right during monsoon season. Well, that's where they're yes. where they're crashing those things. Is you remember you you suggested a movie a while ago with uh, Robert Redford? Oh yeah, yep. Yeah, yep. I watched that, and that's right where they're crashing. Yep. You know, yeah, it's just nasty. Yeah, those are just terrible seas. You, that's Wasn't the that last movie, place you want to go? Weren't you like the whole way through that movie going, "What are you, an idiot"? <laughs> Actually, he did. He what did it, some really. Fairly smart things, I thought. Um, well, I thought I thought he should have um, uh, hung on to the uh, to the um, uh, container for a longer. Yeah, than he did. I would have tied off to the container, although I'm sure he would have had because they he has to go to dock sometimes, so he has to have like tires and stuff to throw over the side to keep it from crashing oh, yeah. and stuff. So. Yeah, fenders. I would I would have tied off, but the thing is, is like I think he underestimated his uh, his well, predicament. Sir, right? Isn't I think isn't that always the case? Yeah, that is. I I believe that that's always the case when you have fatal um, 
fatal survival outcomes. Uh, I tend to uh, I tend to think that people underestimate their situation, how how bad it really is, or or how vulnerable they are in that particular point in time. Maybe he, you know, he, his life wasn't in danger. The ho- the hole was above the water line, um, you know, and he didn't think that it would. He didn't have to patch it that good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but to me, you get, you're out in the middle of nowhere like that, and you're you're re- very vulnerable, and you need to be taking the the proper steps. I mean, I would have tried to to fabricate a really really good um patch there mm-hmm. and then then I would have tried to figure out if that shipping container was uh was going to sink any more than it is I might have wanted to stay tied to it or stay tied close to it mm-hmm. you know either as a sea anchor or, or or something like that well it didn't look to me like the thing was ever going to sink I mean no. maybe maybe it would have at some point but I no, think they, they, I think I would have I think I would have tied to it until uh, until my um, hole was for sure repaired. Right, right, exactly. You know, until that's, that's until like, I was absolutely <clears throat> certain. Maybe, you know, I don't. And I don't that would have given means, you, but that that would have given you a platform also to work on the outside. You could have tied alongside it and worked on the outside of the boat. Yeah, and stood outside the boat instead of trying to hang over the edge like he was doing. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I have to make a confession. I'm not much of a sailor. I did sail a catamaran for a summer, but that's very different than the kind of sailing he's doing. And, um, but I thought I, I thought that a, a lot of the things that he did were pretty damn smart. I do have to give him credit. Yeah, I've been I've I've sold a lot on the on on Lake Michigan and on Lake uh, Huron, uh-huh. and. Um, not in a sailboat, deli- delivering power boats, moving power boats around, big power boats, 50, 60 footers, mm-hmm. <coughs> 70 footers. <coughs> yeah. And uh, I don't know. I, I take that that stuff pretty serious. I mean, I remember um, in certain situations where people saying, well, you're over, you know, you're over worrying about it. You're overthinking it. You're over, you know, but I never lost a boat. Uh-huh. You know, I, I've, and I've had boats that um, were in the process of trying to go to the bottom. Uh-huh. You know, on uh, a couple different occasions, I've had situations where the boat was sinking faster than I could get somewhere safe. <clears throat> but, yeah, that's for another time. Yeah. Fireside stories. Yeah. So, uh, let's see. What did you get for Christmas? Well, I got some um, smell pretty, some uh, cologne. Uh-huh. I got a uh, waffle iron. Nice. Fancy, <clears throat> fancy waffle iron. Very good. I got um, some suspenders. Uh huh. Because I lost some weight, my pants are falling off, and I guess suspenders are cheaper than replacing your wardrobe. <laughs> I got a shirt and a couple sweaters and all in all, pretty good, uh, uh, pretty good Christmas. I got a wonderful, I got a wonderful fixed blade knife. Oh yeah? Oh yeah? Yep. Yep. With bone, uh, uh, I I believe it's camel bone scale handles on it. Stabilized? Beautiful Beautiful piece. Yep. Mm. Yep. They look like ivory. 
that that camel bone. I'm surprised more people don't, aren't using that stuff. Is because it, it almost looks. It gives the impression that it's ivory. You know what those cost? I know they're expensive. Eighty-five bucks I, for a yeah, pair. That's why, that's why more people don't use them. Well, yeah, but you know what? You know what uh, ivory costs that for, size? for that size? It would be it would be probably. Ex- a uh, thousand bucks, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, real expensive. So, yeah. so I mean, it does give you that that look to, of ivory without actually paying the big bucks I- and killing an elephant. Like, yeah, you know, there was yep. a time when I thought, you know, so whatever. But like, there's, you know, come on, you get, there's a lot of other shit you can kill. You don't have to kill an elephant, but. Yeah, I, yeah. I rats, know. rats. Yeah, go kill baboons. Go shoot uh, warthogs. There's there's ass tons of them. There's there's ivory on warthogs. Uh, you know, <clears throat> you know. It's interesting. I've been I've been watching some Facebook posts lately about people that have been going to Africa and going hunting. Everybody going, oh, wee, 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 wee. you know, they're all the you, know, you might as well you might as well stick in the chimp screams here. Yeah, <clears throat> but it's interesting how uh, people don't understand that whole concept that. Every dollar that those guys spend when they go on safaris like that go toward protecting other animals. Yeah, because it costs money to actually protect um, the right. wildlife. And and right. believe it or not, people aren't just going to go out and work for free to save a freaking chimp or something. You know, they're just right. not. Like right. people, it, it's it's a completely different mentality and economy over there. I mean, they're basically. If you don't work over there, you starve. You know, if you don't have a source of income, you're dead. And, yep. you know, they're not going to waste their time uh, hunting down poachers if they if they can't eat. So you have to pay to, to protect them. And, if you know, and if people want to just go ahead and uh, every year donate 10 grand to help protect them um, and then not go hunting, then great, do that. But like a lot of people want to donate ten grand and go shoot some kudus or some sables or. Um, okay, so here's here's bucks. my rant my rant about that kind of stuff. It's kind of funny. Okay. Last cu- last couple of days, I've been uh, in the evening. There's been a, a a run of shows that I have not seen before, but I've heard about them called Whale Wars. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's. Um, it's a group of people called the Sea Shepherds, and they're doing battle with the government of Japan over killing whales. Uh-huh. Mind you, there's I guess there's an international ban on killing whales. I, you know, there's no I guess there's no useful purpose for them. Uh-huh. And you know, pretty much everything's been replaced with synthetics or or uh, um, except for the whale meat. I think the Japanese still eat the whale meat. <clears throat> so so they kill whales now in the name of research uh-huh so there's this group called the sea shepherds and they've got a half a dozen and they, they got about a half a dozen boats you know like good sized ships 500 ton vessels <laughs> and they're and they're blocking and and uh trying to stop the the whaling in antarctica it's in like international waters you know there's no it's pretty much like the wild west right and they're bumping and grinding with these big boats, big ships. I mean, that five, I, I saw, saw a uh, 500 foot, 500 ton boat go up against this um, processing plant boat, which ship, which is huge. I mean, they're like 
they're like um, they're massive. They're cities. Like six, 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 seven thousand ton ships. I mean, they're big, big yeah. boats. <coughs> and uh, and they're bumping and you know, and the level of commitment that these people have is pretty, pretty high. I mean, I'm I'm pretty amazed at them. And you know, like they'll they'll do things like um, like the whaling, the ships that are doing the whaling. They're the harpooning, you know, they pull them on, on, on the decks and stuff and, and they, um, these guys will fly by with, uh, with these little boats and they'll shoot, um, all rotten apples at them. They'll use potato guns and shooting rot, rotten apples on the deck. And apparently that taints the meat and makes the whales unusable. So, so then they, they just dump them. them overboard. Yeah. And then, yeah, geez. they just waste them yeah. and go get another one. Well, <clears throat> when I was watching that, I was like, I was thinking to myself, you know, these guys are really committed. Um, why don't they just freaking torpedo <laughs> the, the big the big ship, the big plant? L- sink the damn thing. Put it on the bottom. That's when you're going to know that their level of commitment is really serious, that they really want this stopped. We're going to just start fucking sinking the boats. We're sinking all those whaling ships, and we're going to be done with it. Then we'll deal with the international, you know, UN or whatever that is, and enforcing these laws. On, on the, the ban on whaling. Well, okay, so here's uh, here is the only whale product that I would like to get my hands on. Uh, there's two, actually. I would like to get some whale oil just to see uh, how it was that people burned it in lamps and stuff back in olden times. But you can get that from fat people. Do it, Get it from the liposuction place. <sighs> Jim, you're going to get us in trouble. <laughs> Um, no. I, I'd like no, to see what, what do they do. What, what do they do with that biohazard? Don't can't they render that? I mean, I, I'm t- totally serious. I mean, they they they're liposuctioning fat out of people. Okay. What are they doing with it? Let's make some whale oil lamp out of that. Uh, whale oil. I think out of that, that some people would have some um, some uh, problems with that. Um, there was this movie called Fight Club where they were making soap out of it, but uh, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I think I would steer clear of that. Okay. But it would be the same. I mean, wouldn't it be the same fat fat as fat? No, whale oil is different. Um, but anyway, so... Can't they club baby seals for it? Uh, and get baby seal oil? Uh, I don't know. I think, I think um, maybe. I think, I think what they used to do is uh, they'd get the... There's different kinds of whale oil. Like there's this... Um, in the big, huge whales like Moby Dick, you know, there was a organ <laughs> in the front of their head um, that had this real special kind of oil in there that was like just bomb-ass oil. Um, and then there's the oil that they render down from uh, blubber. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think it was used in cosmetics, and I don't know, even maybe some of it is still today, and I'm sure... You know, some of these crazy primitive collectivist cultures have, like, witch doctor medicine that uses it and stuff. But I'd like to see what a whale oil lamp burned like. Can you actually, I wonder if you can buy that now. I don't know. Uh, But that'd be one thing. And the other thing I would like to get my hands on would be whale teeth. Um, Those would make fantastic knife handles. Actually, you can, uh, I think you can get those. You can still get those. Hmm. Um, whale, whale ivory is uh, 
<coughs> is um, actually you can get um, petrified. Is it petrified? Uh, I don't know. I know you can get like walrus teeth and stuff. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I haven't really gotten into that. But well, I guess the whole the whole point is you know that that they are they are endangered and and I I do get the under you know it's uh um I mean I hate to see any animal go by the way the dodo because of something that we actually had a hand in. Well, and the other thing is is like there's a lot of other things you can eat besides whale meat. You know, and, right. and here's well, and and I think and that's and that's their point. I mean, it's it's here you you've got a I mean, we we almost hunted the bison out of existence in America. Uh-huh. For hides. I well, mean, we we did that not just for hides. I mean, how many freaking buffalo rugs do you need? We did that as a way to eliminate well, the food source for the people that were living there, mm-hmm. uh, primarily. Um, right. But, uh, you know, here's, here's where I think that some of the uh, more liberal folks would, would run into this uh, problem in their head. Okay, so they... They claim that all cultures are equal, this and that, and blah, blah, blah. And um, they're willing to go to the point that, you know, the the Muslims that are, like, uh, beating women and making them dress up in this stuff and all this, they won't say anything about it. You know, they'll even go to that extent where, well, we can't judge them. You know, they have a different culture. Well, then why is it okay for you to judge another culture that thinks that uh, rhino horn makes your wiener bigger? Or why is it okay for you to judge another culture that thinks that whale meat is delicious and wants to eat it? You know, I, I think like you gotta at some point you gotta say to yourself, okay, there's some things that we need to look at and decide. You know, maybe it'd be good to have a few whales left and not eat every last fucking one of them. And if your culture doesn't agree with that, then you have an inferior culture and you need to be destroyed. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say yeah, that. Yeah, well, no, but it's but it is true though. Yeah. I mean, but but see the thing is they get they they tie themselves into knots to avoid not judging the uh, culture and you know, if they would just come out and say, "Look, these guys are fucking idiots. They want to shoot whales and eat them." Uh, there's plenty of other good meat on this earth to eat. You don't have to go and, and kill the last whale because you want, like, a whale steak, you fuck chop. You know, it's like... <laughs> well, look at, look at um, I, I saw a picture of a, uh, uh, of a young lady from, uh, I, I won't even say where she was from, but needless to say, she was a, she was a Muslim, and she was uh, promised to an older gentleman who had several wives, and she refused to be to marry. And her father threw a face, threw a, a cup full of acid in her face, huh. and and disfigured her. Yeah. And 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 you think where are the liberal uh, uh, women libbers when it comes to situations like that? Because Muslims, by and large, are collectivist. And the the first thing is first. Collectivism comes beyond, above everything. Which is, what I don't get is how do they, typically the cultures that are out there harpooning all these whales and eating them are also collectivist. And the cultures that are like going and shooting the last rhino because they, you know, want like rhino horn uh, to make their wieners bigger. Like they're typically collectivists. So how are they... 
I mean, that's just got to drive them nuts if they if they sat down and thought about it. And of course, now we're sounding like liberals ourselves. But I mean, you got to, you know, you you got to kind of look at things like, like take Lake Tahoe for instance, right? Um, I pay a lot of fucking money in taxes, right? And that tax money goes to preserve natural parks and things. Uh, national mm-hmm. parks and a significant portion of Lake Tahoe <clears throat> is national parks. Okay, so I have investments in these national parks and natural resources and things like this that I actually fucking paid for. Okay, so there was a fight back in the like 90s and 2000s where. Uh, okay, I'm gonna turn your dog into soap. <laughs> I don't understand. He's just barking for some unknown reason. Now, someone's here, maybe. <clears throat> I'm shocking him. Mm-hmm. Enough of that. Enough of that. Well, anyway, so, like, you know, I have money invested in this. And so I, I take part ownership of Lake Tahoe and, and other national parks, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you get these fucking tossers um, that, that want to drive their... Uh, jet skis and jet skis pollute horribly like they spew oil and gas and everything all over the fucking place and in the in the early to mid to late 90s early 2000s there was all these fights about um using jet skis out there and it was it was like literally changing the way the lake was you know like when i used to go out there you could see down like a hundred feet that water is uh, my folks used to have a place in uh, incline village um Mm -hmm. That place is uh, uh, unbelievable. I went there on my honeymoon, and it was, uh, we're talking, what is that, 30 years ago? And at that time, there was, if I'm not mistaken, they limited the number of power boats that could be on the lake. Yeah, I mean, and... and, You, You had to have special permits to have, to go on the lake, and they were really trying to stop, because back then... Two cycle. Most of those outboards are two cycle motors, and I mean, even today, there a lot of them are two cycle motors, <clears throat> where you have to mix oil and water to. And they were saying that um, that and jet skis are the same way. They have oil injectors. Most of those are two cycle engines. Yeah. And they squirt oil right through the engine into the exhaust and into the water and, and into the water. Yeah. And 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 it does leave a sheen on the water. Right. And and then and then here's mm-hmm. the here's the point. It's like so you had people arguing, well, you shouldn't we we certainly have a right to limit what you're going to do there. And then you had other people who were like, oh, "It's freedom." And here's my point, okay? <clears throat> I didn't create that national park, but I am forced to pay for it. Okay? So it's fucking mine. Okay? And uh you know, we can have a vote, and and the people who actually have ownership of that park can vote and decide what the rules are. And if we decide as a group that, you know, we don't want you running your fucking jet skis in there and leaving oil all over the place, then that's the way it is, you know. Yeah. And if you want to run your jet ski, then and you want to just run it whenever you want and, you know, do whatever the hell you're going to do on it, you take your own fucking money and build your own lake. You can do it. Go out and buy a piece of property, get a bulldozer, uh, get an earth mover, create the... uh, There's such a thing as man-made lakes. You want to do it? Go do it with your own money. 
Yeah. You know, and, but it's it's interesting because there's quite a few communities that actually draw water off the lake for their drinking water, yeah. their municipal drinking water, and it's gorgeous water. I mean that that mm-hmm. that lake is awesome. So anyway, that and, and I kind of look at you know a lot of, a lot of these things kind of the same way. It's like you know there's there's a there's a few freaking elephants left. There's a few whales left. There's a few rhinos left. Um, you know and. Listen, you know, there's a lot of shit that you can shoot that, you know, there's buttloads of them. Go shoot a Cape Buffalo. Oh, you can't. Yeah. Oh, you're scared because they'll fucking trample you. Well, guess what? That's hunting, shithead. <laughs> um, you know, like, there's there's an ass load of, of Cape Buffaloes. Go shoot one of those if you want to shoot something, you know, just, I, I don't know. It gets to the point when there's only a few of them left, like, maybe we should we should think about, like, saving the ones that are left. But Right, know. right. Well, I know it. It is interesting, and and the the um, like I was saying about the whale wars, guys. You know, I'm watching the show and I'm hit, listening to them talk all badass and shit. You know, mm-hmm. and then we're gonna we're gonna load up, then we're gonna assault this vessel, and we're gonna do this and this and this, and and uh, and we're gonna load our potato guns with rotten apples. And I was like, fuck. You want to really be committed to this thing, you know, you ought to load your freaking boat with a torpedo and freaking run in, into the side of their factory ship. <laughs> you know, put that fucker on the bottom and see how how, how many whales they'll process from there. <laughs> you know, yeah, and, then, and it makes, and then it makes you wonder. It's like, consequences of it, you know. And yeah, and then face the consequences of it. Do you want to really save the whales and draw attention to yourself? You know, fucking sink those boats. It wouldn't you know? be hard. Um. So, what did I get for Christmas? I got a Benchmade 710, and I got some Aqua Velva, which I'll talk about later, because I got this barn burner of an email. And then... <laughs> uh, Aqua Velva. I, I got uh, a... Uh, so there's a... You know, I've been talking for a while about wanting to get um, a ballast song and learn how to use it. Um, yeah, did you get one? Well... Okay, so what I got, I asked on um, Jersey Devils, uh, the forum. I had a, a few hundred bucks left of Christmas money. And uh, I asked on there, like, what should I get? You know, like, I don't want to, I want to buy something that I can learn to flip with, um, but that's also a quality piece. And uh, that, you know, and if I don't learn to flip or if I lose interest in it, I still have a, uh, a nice balisong knife that you know can be like heirloom quality right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they, and i said i'd kind of like something readily available uh and they're like well what you need to do is you need to get this uh hom trainer hom and it's called hom knives the website is hom design hom dash design uh it's a a knife maker guy um, and he makes these, uh, balisongs. Let's see if I can find his, his name here. Uh, Jerry Hom is the, uh, founder and designer of these knives and he grinds and makes them. And then I'm sure he, for a lot of this, he's going to have to, um, he would have to contract a lot of this stuff out. Um, because it's, these are precision things. This isn't shit that you can just make on your grinder. So they said, what you need to do is you need to buy a prodigy trainer, uh, which is a, 
it's a really well-made balisong, but it's got a dull blade. And then uh, the next thing you're going to do is get on the list to get a BRS Alpha Beast. So I've been on the list for the Alpha Beast for a while, um, but I pulled the trigger and I ordered a, a Hom HOM Prodigy trainer. And I'm going to flip around with it. And <coughs> so like when that. it's done, do you sharpen it? No. Um, I, that's all. So what you do is you get you get good with it, and you learn all these moves, and then you try to do it on a real knife, and then you only cut yourself a little bit instead of all the time. And then, uh, <laughs> and then, you know that 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 trainer is still it's still pricey. It's over it's over two hundred bucks, but it's it handles like a real good quality uh, uh, flipping knife. You know, and that that's the one that pretty much everybody in the Jersey Devil Balasong Alliance recommended. So I bought that, and I'm on the list to get a, a BRS Alpha Beast, but I don't know how long that's going to take. But um, the other one that that was pretty consistently me- mentioned was a Benchmade 51, but I decided to just get the the trainer and then get an Alpha Beast when it's available. See, back in the day. Um Pacific Cutlery that was pre-Benchmade, uh-huh. and that they were known for that. That's where the butterfly comes from in Benchmade. Okay. Yeah, they were the kind of the classic uh, Benchmade model is the Benchmade 42, and I think mm-hmm. I think that's the one that uh, had the it was a titanium handle and like all this different stuff, but it was a bitch to manufacture, and they couldn't make them at a reasonable price anymore, so they stopped making them. Yeah. Um, you remember Tim? <clears throat> Mm-hmm. He has one, but he he doesn't flip them, and so I guess those are like next to priceless those things. Yeah. Hmm. Um, Interesting. But so I decided that this year I would try to try to cut you, learn. Try that. not to cut yourself. Yeah, and then you know, and if I if I if I decide I don't like doing it or whatever, then I still have this awesome trainer that I can give to a friend who wants to learn, uh, and I'll still have an awesome balasong. I'll have like the. Right now, 2015, I'm told that that's like the industry standard for um, ballast songs that, that flip. Hmm. So, you know, I think that'll be a good uh, good thing for this year. So that's my Christmas presents. Um, so yeah, that's awesome. Have you have you handled a Benchmade 940? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. But you like the I seven? I don't have one. Yeah. I don't. You like the but 710 have, better. Yeah, well, I, I love the 710. I, I, that is, is still my favorite folding knife. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and it's, and it, you know, like I said, I have a I have one set up for right hand, one set up for left hand. Uh-huh. Well. You know, I mean. So I like it. it it's, um, it's significantly bigger than the 940. It's thicker. Handle-wise, mm-hmm. the, uh, the blades are the same now, thickness. <clears throat> Now remember one thing important. Huh. That was the first one. Yeah, it's awesome. The, I, I'm not the, yeah. the, the seven ten. The seven ten was their first axis lock knife. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, I, but uh, it's it's. But it's not for everybody. Yeah, it's a big knife. It's twice the twice the weight. It's thicker. It's got a little. <laughs> it's like a inch longer blade than the nine forty. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's a manly knife. It's a manly mm-hmm. fix, uh, folding knife. Um, the thing uh, that I would point out about it, though, if you look at yours, notice how far back on the handle the 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 um, 
the swell is to for the arc of the fingers. So open it up. It, yeah, but the swell go further. You're not holding the swell. I have big hands. My my pump. Well, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I don't know. No, don't know. that's it's, yeah. I, I made a video on this, right? I know, but if you're going to you, use I a power grip, that swell is in the wrong spot. Like if you're going to use a, a a power grip, yeah, maybe your hands are bigger than mine, but I don't think so though. I think our hands are like identical. Maybe you're maybe you have a little bit different model than mine. No, mine's a seven ten. Here, let me go get mine. I want to show you this. Uh, okay. Ten, Take ten a second break, break and I'll. Here. Yeah, because I'm going to get my coffee. Okay. Bark River Knives offers the best combination of ultra-modern CNC components and old-world craftsmanship. All Bark River Knives are hand-convex ground and sharpened to perfect cutting geometry for the task they are designed to perform. Bark River Knives are available through our authorized dealers. Um, so, okay. so, so I'm holding it up so you can see here. Okay. Um, let me make sure. Okay, you see this is this area towards the back of the handle is is where you would hold it um, in a power grip. That's that's where okay. you are going to get the most effective grip on the handle because that's the area of the handle that is actually designed. Um, to be gripped in a power grip, um, mm -hmm. where where you were grabbing it and where um, I but and then also if your hand is back there, look at look at what is is perfectly ergonomically designed to happen. Your thumb, thumb it, it is perfect. Um, so that's that's why they put it so far back, is so that your thumb would automatically rest on the thumb ramp, um, and that's and honestly looking. If you hand so what does that give you? If you're if you're stabbing somebody, that gives you another three inches of blade to shove into somebody's chest. I have no idea. <laughs> I wouldn't know anything about using a knife that way. But, but now, um, now here's here's the other thing. Say say you're going to do like a really forceful power cut, like you're going to really use the knife hard. Um, look at how far away from your hand the knife is. Uh, the actual blade is and where your work is going to be. Mm -hmm. And uh, that'd be like um, if, so let me ask you a question. Look here. If you're going to, if you're going to do a power cut with the knife, are you going to hold the work here towards the end? Or are you going to hold it up here towards the handle? Towards the handle. Right. And the, the reason is um, even if you, even if you don't know the physics of it, the reason is it's like a lever. It's like a ratchet. Okay. This is the farther away from the ratchet head you have the handle, the more torque you get. 
Well, it's the same thing here. If 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 you're an inch and a half away from where your hand is, uh, to create the same downward force, you're creating a lot more ratcheting on where your hand is. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. But anyway, I have mm -hmm. a video for the listeners at home to see this. Um, <coughs> so naturally, probably what you do and and what I would do is choke up. But when you do, when you choke up, um, look at your the the arc in the handle is exactly the opposite the way your fingers are going to arc. So you're not going to yeah, get but as... If you look at, but if you look at where your thumb is, and look look at how my, how my thumb is. It's the same. No, look look at the angle. Um, so look where I'm holding it. Yeah. We're holding it the exact same way. Well, how come there's so much more ex of, the, of your butt exposed than mine? we gotta we got to sit down and compare these. <laughs> Because I because no because I think at, I think we have the same sized hands because I'm actually a little taller than you, and you know I have uh, my glove size is seven and a half and I I think your hands are probably the same size. I wonder if the handle on mine is different than the handle on yours. It could be. I don't know. I haven't my my both my seven tens are old older. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> this one is a is a D two. Hold one. hold yours up again. Let me look at that. It looks the same. Hmm. Oh no! Wait a minute. The, yeah, no, no. Flip your backside over. Let me see what. No, back. The I'm gonna see your pivot. Okay. Yeah, they're they're the same. Hmm. Yeah, but but then why? Because look at how when I'm when I have the same exact grip that you do. Look at how look at how much of the handle is is sticking out behind my hand versus how much I is know, behind that's, yours. But I think our what, hands are the I'm, same size. No, hold them up to the screen. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think what we need to do is I'll bring this up, and we'll compare. Yeah, because that's because that's curious. Yeah, because that because that is curious. But, but you know what, my dad, when I showed him this knife, uh -huh. he loved it. Except he said one big. He was like, "But it's too big." Yeah. Well, here's here's and, here's and, the answer to his problems. The nine forty. Well, you know what. I ended up getting him a 705. Oh, really? Which is because they didn't have that model then. Okay. I mean, they had a 7, the 705 was the scaled down version of this. Okay. And it, and it was the same knife, only smaller. Hmm. Um, but anyway, and I, I want, I, and I want to say that, I want to say that I think we, I think we buried him with that knife. Oh, wow. Huh. Well, I think that's an honor for Benchmade. Yeah, I think I well he he loved it. He thought that was just the and it was what was comical about it was he could dull that knife so fast it wasn't <laughs> even funny. I mean, I don't know what what the hell he was cutting. I mean, he cut steel cable, had no problem with it. <laughs> he, he it was amazing to me what he would do with it. Yeah. <clears throat> but um but anyway, we have a mystery. Hey. Next time I actually I'll be up there in a few weeks. So okay. uh Next time I come up there, I'll bring that knife, and then we're going to compare hand sizes, and I'm going to hold your knife, and you're going to hold mine, and we're going to see if there's any difference between the older ones and the new ones. Yeah, because I, I never I never grabbed this knife like that. Uh-huh. I mean, when I, when I put my, my thumb out like that, I mean, look how much I, I'm... I mean, I'm into... Look at where the palm is. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, well, that and that the way yeah. you're grabbing it there is actually very. If you're gonna, if you have to put your knife 
or your hand on top of the knife if, if you're doing some sort of a cut or if you're more comfortable using that way. The way you're ho- the, holding it like this, the way you're holding it, that's perfect. Yeah. And I think I think that they designed the knife to be perfect for that, and it is perfect for that. You know, I use a lot. I use it a lot like this too. Uh huh. Backwards. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, to cut, like this. Yeah, to cut towards you. Yeah, and it, it's got it's got like a lot of and and doing it that way. Here's how I grab it: two fingers, mm-hmm. and then have the index finger and the thumb free, and it, it's perfect for that too. I mean, it, it's it it's a great knife. It's just the I I have a for being as sturdy as it is, I would like to be able to use it more for those real aggressive power cuts. And um, but you know you you, you make uh, you make trade-offs and choices when you're making a knife and i think that's what they made you know what's interesting about this knife uh-huh. is this is literally i carry this literally every single day i mean you can see the the black uh finish is almost wore off of it uh-huh. <clears throat> and there is no blade play in it whatsoever none i mean after all the i don't know what year this is i'm i don't know if there's a serial number on these so i can check the year that, that i got it but i've had it for a long time uh-huh <clears throat> and there is no blade play in it whatsoever. I mean, this is probably just as tight as the day that I got it. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've been very impressed with that knife. And I, and I and I love the axis lock. So looking love looking at the Bark River schedule, March 14th to 16th is the ice in. Hmm. It's late this year. Hmm. I don't know. It's late. It's late this year. Yeah, but uh, <clears throat> no, I think I, I think that's when it was, like last year, because I think I went to the ice in last year. I think it was in mid March, because it was just starting to melt, wasn't it? I mean, you guys still have know, like had... feet of snow, but <laughs> we, still, we still March fifteenth. We still had freaking gigantic piles of snow. We still had five foot of snow in the backyard that was fluffy. Yeah. Now, this year is different. It's snowing like crazy right now. It's supposed to be brutally cold this week, but but it's we don't have anywhere near the snow we had last year. Hmm. Last year, by this time, we I mean, I, we've got 50 inches of snow already this year. Mm-hmm. But last year, I think by this time, I think we had 200 inches. Hmm. I think I want, yeah, I want so. to go to that uh, March one. So maybe we yeah. can do camp out or something early in the week there. And then mm-hmm. cap off the weekend at Bark River. Alright. I <clears throat> sounds good. I don't think I'll make a knife unless they unless we come up with some sort of a crazy project knife for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um but maybe we could think about that. Maybe some of our listeners that have suggestions. Um Yeah, that, to make some and then Yeah, to to make a project knife like we did with the trackers. Yeah. You know, um, yep. But uh Right now, I don't have any plans. I guess you know I shut my knife shop down for the winter. Yeah, getting kind of chilly out there, was it? <laughs> Way too cold, and I'm sick of burning <laughs> propane to heat the place. So um, so I shut it down. You want to know what the last knife I made was? Mine. Uh, yours was no. second to last. Okay, what was the last one? Uh, I, I made it to troll people. Oh, you made it! You made a uh, skookum. No, I made a lawnmower blade knife. Because <laughs> I know that like trolls the shit out of people. I thought I thought you were gonna make a skookum brush tool. No, I I don't really have much interest in that. But 
I made it because uh, my knife shop kind of started by uh, uh, lawnmower blades, and I kind of thought it'd be kind of neat to show how much progress you make in a year uh, in your skills. And so I made this lawnmower blade knife, but I made it like beautiful. It's got a hamon line, and <laughs> I was totally trolling people. That's funny. Yeah, because you know it's That's you're not supposed to make them. Uh, oh, out of unknown steel. Yeah. But I, honestly, I know the steel on because I have a whole shit pot of these, this one particular brand of uh, lawnmower blades, mm-hmm. and I've made enough out of them that I know exactly how to heat treat it and everything. So to me, it's not an unknown steel, especially since I can get it to form a hamon. <laughs> I know it's 1060 or 1070. Yeah. Either way, like it's it's one of these steels with a really easy heat treat, and it's not through hardening. So right. Um, are they made in America or made overseas? These are Husqvarna, so I think they're probably made uh, in uh, Sweden. But anyway, yeah. uh, so that was the last <coughs> knife I made before shutting down. Um, That's awesome. What'd you guys do for dinner? You you mentioned for New Year's Eve you had uh, oh steak and lobster. I, ha- I lucked. I, yeah, I lucked out. I had a um, my wife and I. Basically stayed home. Mm-hmm. We were in bed early. Um, got a bottle of wine. I happened to be picking out at the meat counter um, a real nice New York strip. <clears throat> and um, I looked in the in the uh, uh, fish case, and they were having a sale on lobster tails. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, well, how cool is that? You know, so I grabbed a couple lobster tails, <clears throat> and they're nice big ones, real tasty. Mm-hmm. And I wanted, to, I didn't want to make a mess. You know, I, it was, I wanted something simple. And I'll tell you what, folks, if you, this is the easiest way to do lobster tails that I have ever done. Split them up the back, uh, put a bunch of, uh, uh, some, not a bunch, but some olive oil, poured olive oil into them. I sprinkled them with a little bit of lemon pepper. Mm-hmm. And I put them under the broiler for like seven minutes. Mm-hmm. They were cherry red and done to perfect. Nice. And and I'll tell you what, that is uh, <clears throat> dollars. That meal probably cost me, including the bottle of wine, $25. Wow. I'll bet. I'll bet. $25, maybe, maybe $30. Uh-huh. Um. Had we gone to a restaurant and drank a bottle of wine, the bottle of wine would have been about a, a, would have been about forty bucks, fifty bucks. Yeah. The um, the the steak and the lobster tail would have probably been about forty bucks, fifty bucks, fifty bucks that, a, a I, person, a person per person. Yeah. Yes. And um. And and we were allowed to eat naked. <laughs> TMI, Tim. TMI. So, so I'm just. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just kidding. Well, I'm sure well, we there. Are, I'm sure there are clubs up there where that is. <laughs> if that's your thing. <laughs> but I, but I'm just. I mean, I was just kidding. We weren't naked. Right. But because I, I didn't want to drop hot butter on myself. <laughs> well, it, you're you're painting the picture of you get the freedom of being how you want yeah, to be exactly. in your own house and not dealing exactly. With and it was. And I'm going to tell you what it was. It was every bit as good as as any restaurant mm-hmm. I could have gone to. Yeah. You know, I mean, it it really was good. Um, 
it probably was one of the better New Year's Eve dinners that we've had in a long time. And we usually go out. You, you know, most of the time what we'll do on New Year's Eve is we'll go out to a nice restaurant, have a nice meal, and come home and go to bed. Uh-huh. <laughs> But um, and then talk about the about that wonderful meal for the next two days. Mm. Um, but this this one here was just absolutely exceptional. Cool. And like I said, the lobsters were done just to a turn. It was they were perfect. Um, the steaks were done perfect. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was awesome. Cool. I mean, it was really an awesome evening. So we had. <laughs> uh... What what did you do? I can't. Did you, did you make something? Well, special? I've been making a, a lot of sourdough bread lately because I figured, I figured out that you you can. The problem with sourdough starters and sourdough cultures is they tend to get infected over time. Well, if you mm-hmm. make it in the picklemeister, no infection. It, they're mm. perfect. So I've I've had this sourdough culture going for a while. Someday I'll make a video, but I have perfected sourdough bread and I have a loaf rising on the counter right now. But I think we had but some sandwiches you, with that. I tell you, I've been doing your your uh, deep dish pizza, and uh, I did your. Uh, um, actually, I didn't do. What the hell? I did another pizza the other day, and I found an Italian video of how they do their stone fired pizza. Yeah. And and I I took my I don't know if you know this or not, but I took my oven, and I lined the bottom of it with with fire brick. Mm-hmm. So I have like I bought I went to the to the um, uh, Emmett brick, brick and Block and I bought fire brick and it's only I I want to say they're inch thick bricks yeah by by four by six or something like that yeah fire brick four four by yeah fire brick and I just I got enough of them to cover the complete bottom of my of my oven yep <laughs> so once I heat once my stove gets heated. To the right temperature, it stays. Don't, when you open the door up, it doesn't seem to it doesn't seem to vary the temperature a lot. And so what I did was I made these. I got this real thin crust. Uh, made this real thin crust dough, real simple recipe, and probably flour, water, salt, yeast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Little. I think there was a little sugar in it, but but that was it. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and um, mashed it out, spread it as thin as I could get it. Uh, took a uh, a water cup and rolled it out so it even was really really thinner than what you could think you could do it uh-huh. on the on the pizza peel and I did it I put cornmeal over the top of the pizza peel so that it didn't stick to the pizza peel right and um, rolled it all out real thin and I threw it right directly onto my my pizza stone and the bottom side of it was the bottom side of my crust was golden brown and had like a little crust on it little like an edge crust on it, and, and the inside was a little bit softer. It was outstanding. Good, absolutely outstanding. But let's see. For we had uh, chili and cinnamon rolls. It's a family favorite. And my dried beef finished. Been eating on that. It's really good. Gave some away as gifts. That's my food news. Yeah. Well, oh, you know what? The other thing we did Christmas, and I didn't talk about this. I've been, you know, everybody that's listening knows I've been playing with the charcuterie thing. Uh huh. <clears throat> well. I took um, and I, I cured some eye of round and a couple pieces I cold smoked. And when I say cold smoked, it never got over like 90, 100 degrees. Right. Um, it, so it didn't cook. I mean, it was it was uh, uh, during the, it was in the smoker probably six or seven hours. 
but in that in that smoking process, it might have hit 100 degrees, you know, and and most of the time it was like 60 degrees because it was cold outside when I was doing it. <clears throat> so hung it to dry, and uh, Christmas Eve I took it and and uh, uh, over to my mom's house and I was slicing it with with uh, um, real thin with um, crackers and cheese. And when you look at it, it looks just like prosciutto. It has that same moist, uh, opaque look to it, like like prosciutto does. Yeah. And it did. That piece did not last like an hour and a half. And it was a pretty good sized chunk. I was and I was slicing it pretty thin. I was like, okay, the thinner I slice it, the longer it's going to last. Not. <laughs> um, I should have sliced it thicker, and everybody would have had to chew it more. <laughs> But it was so good, it wasn't even funny. Awesome. I have some of that for you. Oh, sweet. So I have an update. Um, if you are not on the uh, Facebook group Bushcraft Geeks, you need to join it. Um, there's all sorts of neat stuff on there. But one of the things we did, we talked about this on an earlier podcast, is uh, we started a, 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 so geeky, a Dungeons & Dragons group. And and Lon like made fun of me a little bit, but I don't care. I think it's fun. Um, but anyway, the big villain for this is uh, uh, James Noka. <laughs> and uh, I'm evil, right? And so <laughs> yeah, our moderator is in that group. Um, but uh, and then uh, Kevin McGee from uh, uh, Carolina Bushcraft is in there, and, and some my some friends and stuff are in this group, but uh, right now they're running through this thing uh, called Ravenloft, which is kind of a classic Dungeons and Dragons thing where they have to go kill a vampire and all this. But uh, they're about to plunge into your storyline. And uh, what's really fun is, is that you've uh, taken over a city on the coast and you're fucking everything <laughs> up and they have to figure out a way to stop you. But um, it's going to be really hard for them, I think. I'm unstoppable. <laughs> <laughs> right. So anyway, that's update there. Um, let's see. I, I we got a ton of emails. I also got a a ton of uh, uh, questions, and uh, also on Instagram, um, I got a ton of topics that people wanted us to talk about, so we can get into that, and also some knife knives in the news. Did did I send you? I forwarded you the. Uh... The one about uh, the Christmas story one, right? Yeah. Do you, um, okay. So who who wrote that? Just remind me. <coughs> um, Brian. Okay. So um, he, his question was, uh, in the Christmas story, uh, sort of towards the beginning of the movie, they go to school and they have like uh, Bubba teeth on. <laughs> and the teacher uh, busts him for the Bubba teeth, makes him come up and hand them to her. And she opens a drawer on her desk and throws the Bubba teeth in there, but there was a knife in the drawer. And he wondered yeah. what it was. 
and uh, I knew right what it was because I have one. It was, a knife, it was a knife detective question. Yep, knife detective. So is everybody ready for Perry Mason Knife Detective? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's uh, the knife in there is a is an Imperial Scout knife. It's a Boy Scout knife made by Imperial, and you can do a Google Images search and compare it to the knife in there, and you will see it's identical. Yeah. And, well, you know what? There was there was a a lot of uh, there was a lot of that style knife. Yeah. Because um, and even with that similar badge, uh, Camp Cutter was one of them. There, yeah. there was there was about probably a half a dozen that used that badge um, that were that looked just exactly like that. I mean, I think that I even had a scout knife. I think that had that same badge on it, and it said it said scout knife on it instead of camp. I should show you mine. Mine has the Boy Scout emblem on one side, uh, and mine is an Imperial, but it's but it doesn't have that that uh, longer badge on the other side. I think what they wanted you to do with that other side of the badge is is have your name engraved. Mm-hmm. Now, mine mm-hmm. mine doesn't have that, but some of them did, and that yeah <laughs> yeah they were like Camp King, um, mm-hmm. uh, Scout Scout Knife. Camp knife that were written on that. Um, uh, Western made one that looked like. I mean, everybody made one. Case made one that looked like that. My, my um, guess would be that that's an imperial though, because I think that was yeah, like yeah. one of the most well, common they, ones that the Boy Scouts yep, used. Yep. And you know, and you know, back then a lot of those a lot of those folding knife companies um, utilized each other's patterns, mm-hmm. utilized each other's toolings, stamp toolings for you know like. Like, let's say, I'm just going to throw out these names. It's not like, you know, knife company number one said, I'm going to make a camper this year. Um, I'd like to use the tooling to make 5,000 or 10,000 or 20,000 campers. Um, Who's got that tooling right now? And uh, knife company number three said, oh, I I have that. Um, I'll get that over to you. Um, Who has that uh, uh, Stockman pattern, uh, you know, and... Knife company number two would say, oh, I got that Stockman pattern, but who's got this? You know, I want to make 5,000 of these or 100,000 of these. Yeah. And, and those companies all did that back back then. Yeah. Um, well, I, and they still do to a certain extent because yeah. we, we know knife companies that make stuff for other knife companies on the hush-hush, mm-hmm. but it's done mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. Well, you know, the and the other follow-on to that question was um, I don't understand. I, I highly doubt that she would have confiscated a knife in the in the 40s. And I said, you know, and I responded to him on an email, and I said, no, no, no. I said, I saw that a lot when I was a kid. Uh, the teachers were grabbing pocket knives all the time from kids when uh, they were doing shit like carving shit in the desks and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> the, the teachers weren't tolerating that kind of stuff. You know, in the they were in the bathrooms, in, you know, carving in the wooden stalls, or they were in the bathroom, um carving on the on the uh, 
wooden shelves on the windowsill yeah. or, you know, doing stuff like that with a knife that they weren't supposed to be doing, they did get confiscated. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it was, it could have yeah, been a confiscated he, he might have been. It might have been Scott Farkas, like, carving shit in his desk or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, exactly. you know, and when I was a kid, there wasn't any kind of a problem having a pocket knife. Uh, you know that was no. very common. It wasn't a big deal, but you just didn't didn't do stupid shit with it, and it wouldn't get taken away. We used to play mumbly pig, and we used to play dare in the in the um, in the you know when we were out for recess. Huh. And basically, what you were doing with mumbly pig is you were like throwing you were like throwing uh, you were trying to make your die your knife do like springboard dives off your like elbow and your wrist and your knee and your shoulder and then and then stick into the ground yeah so you'd start you'd start out with uh like the blade on your shoulder like this uh-huh. and then you'd flick it to the ground and if it stuck you you made that you made that toss and everybody else had to duplicate that. yeah like playing horse with basketball only with a knife yeah yep mm-hmm. yep and then we used to do this other thing where you would take your knife and you would throw it into the ground two people would oppose each other <clears throat> look at each other and you would throw the the knife in between their feet <laughs> okay and then they had to and then you pulled your knife out and then they had to put their move their foot in ac- accordingly oh geez and then the first one that backed away basically lost he, he was like chicken <laughs> and and so if you were really good you could throw your knife like right next to their one foot that they had to move like let's say you had to move your right foot uh-huh you would throw, you would toss your knife like really close to his left foot, so that the gap all of a sudden is like nothing. It's like there's there's no gap, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna throw my knife in between your feet now, and you guys go, no, no, you're not. I'm done. Yeah. Did it, did anybody ever get skewered? Oh yeah, but usually the the pocket knife didn't stick in the tennis shoes. Yeah. The canvas was usually hard enough that. That uh, it 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 did you know yeah and and those and those most of the guys had those kind of camp knives uh huh I mean it's not like that you know they, they weren't carrying a lot of stockmans or they they were usually some kind of camp knife I mean I, <clears throat> for for whatever reason and so those spear point blades never really stuck into somebody's shoe very very well huh. okay it was always like the knife that everybody's parents said well this doesn't look very aggressive so. Um, so we'll let you carry that. I mean, like I carried an electrician's knife for a, for a long time and, um, you know, that had a spear point blade also. Nice. Yep. Well, yep. I have, uh, knives in the news. Our, Ooh. our, uh, field correspondent extraordinaire sent me a story. If anybody doesn't know who that is, it's scurvy zero nine two on Instagram. And, uh, he sent me a story. Let's see here. Wagoner County officers, comma, heroes rescue baby trapped in overturned truck. And uh, it says, uh, the stars aligned for a 13-month-old boy and his parents after the truck veered off Highway 69 in Wagoner and flipped Thursday morning. The parents got out, but their baby was trapped in his car seat with his head underwater. And in the seconds that followed, two police officers became heroes. An officer happened to be near the accident when 911 call came in. When he got there, he heard the mom screaming, uh, the dingo ate my baby. Um, and from there, <laughs> it was instinct. Sorry, I had to throw that in. Uh, I reach up under there 
and he's lifeless. There wasn't no life in him. This must be from down south. Yeah, Oklahoma. Okay, uh, <coughs> the baby was ice cold and trapped in the truck upside down in his car seat. Uh, it was a five-point harness, and I got the bottom clip out, but the four points were still on him, and I couldn't figure out how to get it off, he says. Back windows near the car seat, uh, they were knocked out, which allowed the parents to try to save the baby once they escaped. When Evans arrived, he only had moments to save the child's life. I grabbed my knife and reached under there and made sure his head was down, and I cut the first strap and tried to manipulate him out, but he was still stuck. And, uh, and then he used his other pocket knife to cut the other straps and blah, 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 and the baby's rescued. So uh, that's a good knife in the news story. Mm. Okay. Very good. Very good. Uh, do you want a Do you want a uh, celebrity uh, knife in the news story? Sure. Okay. Okay. Let me find it here. Okay. Uh, okay. In uh, from CNN. Saved by the Bell actor Screech arrested in bar stabbing in Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that one. Police on, on Friday arrested Dustin Diamond, better known as Screech, in the early 1990s sitcom Saved by the Bell in a stabbing incident at a bar in Port Washington, Wisconsin. Where the hell is that? Port Washington. Hmm. Oh, that's uh, on the off Lake Michigan. Okay. Uh, Diamond, comma, 37, comma, of Port Washington was charged with three misdemeanors, second degree recklessly endangering safety, carrying a concealed weapon, and disorderly conduct, Use of a deadly weapon, according to press release from the police. Uh, police. He was being held Friday in lieu of $10,000 bond. According to an arrest report released Friday afternoon, the stabbing took place late Thursday night during an argument in the Grand Avenue Saloon. Diamond said he and his girlfriend, Amanda Schultz, 27, were inside the bar when a group of intoxicated people started behaving in rude and insulting manner, leading him to believe... There was going to be a brawl, the report said. He said he turned to close his account and get their coats, but when he looked back, his girlfriend was bleeding and two men were holding her hair, the report said. Diamond said he moved towards his girlfriend when the man grabbed him, the report said. Diamond said he might have stabbed the man with a pen used to sign his credit card receipt, but later conceded he was armed with the knife, the report said. Diamond stated that he did not intentionally stab the individual in the bar, but the chaos broke out and people were grabbing at him and he swung his arms to break free. Diamond and Schultz drove away from the bar where they were stopped by the police, who said they found, quote, and this is fucking stupid, stiletto folding knife with a 3.75 inch blade, which uses a thumb stud and assisted opening mechanism, period. What the fuck is a stiletto folding knife? With, it sounds like it's an assisted opener, but that how would it well, be it a pro- stiletto? Probably, probably be a real pointy, probably a stiletto-based hmm. blade, which would be real like a real narrow, real thin, tall, thin blade. Yeah, we got to try made to figure for, out made, what knife that is. <clears throat> Police said the tip of the knife was moist. The man identified <laughs> <laughs> the man from his sweaty paws. <laughs> the man, the man identified. As the stabbing victim told police, he didn't see the knife or initially feel being cut. Police said the wounds were not life-threatening. Other people in the bar said the fracas started when the women started shoving each other. 
uh, the police report said. One witness told police a woman was upset because people were taking pictures of her and her boyfriend. Schultz was charged with disorderly conduct and released. Uh, that's his girlfriend. Port Washington is north of Milwaukee on Lake Michigan. Okay, so there's the information. Uh, Diamond appeared on uh, Saved by the Bell as awkward nerd Samuel Screech Powers from 1989 to 1983. He later appeared in various spin offs of the uh, hit show. In late September, a Lifetime movie aired about life on the set loosely based on a book written by Diamond. The book garnered negative criticism for Diamond uh, from castmates who said it was inaccurate. In 2013, uh, he distanced himself from his own book, um, saying that he probably shouldn't have written it because it was naughty and stuff. He probably talked about all kinds of crazy shit. Um, so that's uh, that's the Screech story. <laughs> okay, that's funny. Okay, I've got a I've got an email that I got um, from uh, <clears throat> Tasmania, Australia. Okay. It says, Dear Jim and Kyle, I would like to say thanks very much for the time and effort it must take to bring your listeners such great content. I have learned a lot about cutlery and edge tools over the last year of listening to your podcast, and I'm very appreciative. Mm -hmm. I am a professional chef from Tasmania, Australia, and I really enjoy hearing about your charcuterie projects and other culinary adventures as I find the food culture of other countries very interesting. I have a couple of questions. One knife-related and one gun-related. Firstly, I am receiving a Bark River Bushcrafter for Christmas, and I was wondering if you guys would recommend the Bark River sharpening compounds or the emulsion. I will be making myself some leather straps, and I think they will work more effectively than my ceramic stones. What do you think? I was also... Well, I, I think that the compounds work wonderful. Yeah, the ones available um, from I, Knives Ship Free. Yes, yeah. yep, yep, yep. I, I definitely think that that's uh, that's the way to go. Um, they work real well. Uh, yeah, you won't have any problems with it. Um, the emulsions work well, but they're more expensive. Okay. Um, now there's there's the argument that stroke per stroke, the emulsions are not more expensive. But when I when I take money out of my pocket and I spend for something then I tend to think that one is more expensive than the other when it costs more. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but although I should say this, I just I just invested. We In my kitchen, for the past three years, I've been bitching about these halogen lamps that we have in our kitchen. And they blow out. And they're like, they're like 14, I think they're either two for $14 or they're $14 a piece. Okay. I don't remember the price, but they're but they're bright and and I like bright light in my kitchen. Uh huh. So last night we were at the we were at the at the uh, lumberyard, <clears throat> the big box store lumberyard, and we're looking for light bulbs. And the halogen lights have been blown out, and I've been bitching about the cost of them. And I'm like, you know, it seems like we're replacing one of them. I have four big overhead lights, and we we're replacing one one light bulb every two weeks. And I was like. You know, I'm like going, what the hell is going on with this? So finally, we, you know, the, this last uh, last couple days before we went to the store, we've been using like some of those stupid fluorescent lights and a couple of other lights that we're, we're trying to test and see what we could get away with. And we're totally not happy, you know. So we go to the store yesterday and and I uh, 
we're looking at we're looking at light bulbs and I'm looking at these boxes of light bulbs that are $44 for two. And I'm thinking, what the fuck? $44 for two light bulbs that are that are 80, I think they're 85 watt light bulbs. And what the hell? LED light bulbs. And uh, then I'm reading further down. It's like, okay, so for three hours a day, if you run this light bulb three hours a day, it'll last you 22 years. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, well, you know what? We're replacing those other bulbs, you know, once every eight weeks or whatever the whatever the thing is, and they cost fourteen bucks a piece. Let's invest in these four light bulbs for forty-four bucks, and it'll be forty-four bucks for two, so they're twenty-two dollars a piece. And uh, let's try them out. So we bring them home, and I was like, okay, just put one in to start with. And I want to see how bright it is and see if it's something that we can tolerate. Because these are LEDs. I don't have any. The only the only um, experience i have with led lights are led christmas lights uh-huh. okay and uh that's pretty and much your it. flashlight and my flashlights yeah and um <clears throat> so anyways we put them in it was like wow that's not bad so we so we ended up putting all four of them in and i and before before we screwed them in i had my wife write the date down so i'm gonna see uh, when i'm <laughs> 72 years old <laughs> and, and it got to me it got me thinking um Years ago, in my kids' room, we, we put one of those fluorescent light bulbs in there. And back then, they were touted as being 20-year light bulbs. I mean, when they first came on the scene, they were not the energy-saving. They were just going to last forever. <clears throat> so that light bulb is still in operation today, and it's probably from 1991. Jeez. And, and it, is, uh, it, it has the... The date written on the stem of the light bulb in a Sharpie marker. And so we did that to these. And so 22 years later, tune back in with us and we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll, op- we'll open the vault and see if those light bulbs are still yeah, working. Yeah, 22 years from now, Jim and I will be like, yes, these goddamn whippersnappers. <laughs> It'll be all like. I thought I, I got such a kick out of doing that, though. It was funny because it's like, you know, 22 years. So, And you know what, guys? I would have never thought. 20 years ago, I would have never thought. My, I guarantee you, my dad would have never thought that we'd be buying light bulbs for for 20 bucks a, a light bulb. Yeah. You know, I remember when I was a kid going to the GE store, that where you went to pay your your General Electric bill and and pay your bill, and you'd get boxes of light bulbs for free. Fucking more wattage, the better, man. You get <laughs> they'd give you boxes of 150 watt light bulbs <laughs> for free. I, I, I shit you not. Yeah. That was when I. That's where I learned the part of my marketing strategy. I learned from back then. That's awesome. <clears throat> but um, but yeah, it's twenty twenty bucks a light bulb. Hmm. So anyway, um, the, the rest of this is. Um, I was also wondering what ammunition Jim has found works best in his forty one. Um, and it, you know it was funny because he goes on and says CCI standard velocity. I shot CCI standard velocity exclusively when I was shooting bullseye. Uh, that was the that was the the ammunition that I got the best bang for my buck. Um, it was fairly inexpensive. It was consistent, and uh, you know there were there were a lot of people that were spending more money and buying Fiocchi and some of the what's other the, brands. What's the what caliber are you shooting? That was my twenty two. Yeah, that, was, yeah. You want 20, the you want 20, you want standard or low velocity rounds for that? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. They were CCI standard velocity. 
and um, they worked the best. I, I had yeah. uh, I had very few alibis, um, you know, because of a misfire. Mm-hmm. Very few. In fact, I, I when I got my forty one, I don't think I ever had I had one after that. Um, they were fairly common with my Ruger, uh, but but my forty one now. The other thing I'll, I'll, I'll suggest to you is um, when you start your season, um, clean your pistol before you start practicing, uh, and don't clean it until you're until the next year. Yeah, because that, when you clean it, you're gonna change the characteristics yep. a little yep. bit. Yep. I, I cl- do you I clean, clean the 22? front of the barrel though. <clears throat> you know where the where clean- it comes out. If you're using a bull barrel, crown? yeah, clean the clean the crown there, but everything else leave alone because if you if there's little I, burrs or some shit around that crown, it'll throw it off a little bit. But uh, is that your experience I, or? Well, I, I clean. Well, I I never even did that. I cleaned hmm. my gun once a year, um, and that was pretty much the rules at our club. I mean, all the guys that shot, even the guys that shot a lot longer than I did, hmm. um, we cleaned our pistol once once a year. Huh. And it was, you know, it was before we started the next season. We cleaned it and started over. Yeah. Um, you know, that was that was, uh, I don't know, one of the one of the things that we did. So that's definitely the brand to shoot. Um, and none of his local gun shops have any in stock, and that's real typical. Um, you got to order it. That yeah, that's been that's been a real bugger uh, for the past little bit. Uh, is is guys shooting twenty twos have been trying to find ammunition to shoot. Yeah. So you're not alone there, so, Kimosabi. So you know you're you're talking about uh, 22 long rifle and standard velocity. Um, my uh, the bulk of my uh, accuracy shooting. Now I don't shoot at people, um, so I can't talk to that world. But I do shoot um, high powered rifles at prairie dogs. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I mean it's been a few years, but I've got a Savage model uh, 110. With a target stock and a bull barrel, um, and it's just awesome. That's uh, a great rifle. It's in well, mine is in two twenty three. I wish I had it in the two oh nine Ruger. Uh, mm-hmm. Those things are just they reach out one hundred and fifty yards further than I can. But you know, we're shooting in wind. Uh, your closest shot is going to be three hundred yards at a target that's as big as a squirrel, um, and mm-hmm. half the squirrel because he's half out of his hole half the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we do when we're shooting that is we'll shoot 25 rounds and clean the gun. Uh-huh. Uh, and you notice a huge difference after you clean uh, in, in not, not necessarily the accuracy, but in the precision of where your shots are. Because you get, yeah. and I'm talking at extreme ranges. Your closest shot is 300. Average is probably 500 yards, not feet. And, and, you know, so you, you know, when you're shooting at those kinds of ranges and wind and doping the wind and stuff, you really do in the higher cali- higher uh, velocity rounds, you notice a big difference. And the other thing you really notice is that crown. Mm-hmm. If there's any dirt, any extra buildup of soot, uh, maybe there's a little bit of copper that's stuck there from uh, a round coming out, any burrs or anything, you're going to notice it right away. Um, mm-hmm. But that's that's different. I'm sure it's very different um, in the 22 long rifle world than the uh, than in a high power. I like think that. it. I think it was. Uh, I think what basically happens with a 22 is uh, when you. I think when you clean it, you're, everybody is afraid of changing something. Uh-huh. And and 
and it doesn't matter what it is. I mean, that's such a mental game, it's not even funny. Yeah. I mean, you literally open your box up and you pick your gun up the same way. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's like a ritual when you shoot, um, when you shoot bullseye. Yeah. Uh, and if, and I, and I tell you what, I've got to put my word of encouragement out there to people to try that sport. Well, it, that is, that is hands down the sport that will make you a better shot more than any other combat type shooting there is. Yeah. It pist- um, pistol. It's for sure. It's absolutely trigger. It's your trigger control, and it's um, and it's it, it's uh, the other thing is, is I'm sure you guys are using the same rules. Um, yeah, but it's yeah, it's an NRA it's, rules. Uh, one hand on the gun, period. Mm-hmm. Other hand mm-hmm. can't be anywhere near it, and you have to you have to shoot with one you can't hand even on have, the gun. You can't even have uh, any any kind of wristband on your wrist. Nope, nothing, and. Uh, so you you guys are doing the same. We 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 call that hunters league here, um, I, you yeah. know. But I, it's the same same exact thing. I I don't shoot it competitively, but when I practice, that's how I practice with the pistol. Yeah, no, we we. I mean, it was a NRA bullseye league is what I shot, and <clears throat> all my awards are NRA. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it was N, NRA sanctioned shoots. And, yeah, I'm gonna have to get back into that. Um, but it's, yeah, it's that been was, hard because of the of am, ammo lately, but. Uh, yeah, it's hard to get 22 ammo. Yep. Uh, it's hard. To get I have a stack ammo. of it, but I'm not. I, have, I probably have 10,000 rounds of it, but I'm I'm hoarding it. I'm not shooting it until it. Well, you know what's, more what's funny available. about that too? It used to be. Uh, I mean, I would shoot all the time, 22s. Yeah. All the time, and and because of the sh- this quote unquote shortage, which is not a shortage, it's just that idiots are going out there and freaking buying it as soon as it hits the shelves. If everybody would just stop buying it for like a month. Then the shelves would get replenished, and you would not be having the issue that you have now. I honestly, I think there is, I think it, there is an underproduction of it. Eh, you know what? I t- because I or I think that, year, <clears throat> or I think that the government is buying. They may be producing the same amount, but I think the government is buying all of the available ammo. Yeah, you know, because look I at think, how it, this has been going on for years now, years, <clears throat> and look at how much know, of a I, drain that's put on. Um, people's ability to go out and shoot and practice and stuff like that. I think, to be honest with you, I think that there was a uh, there was a run on it early on. Um, but right now, I mean, I've talked to all, almost not all of the ammo producers, but but all the big players at the shot show, and I've done it for a couple years. They've all been fielding the same questions, and they say the same things. We are running our twenty two plant at capacity absolute capacity right we're running three shifts 24 hours a day we can't make any more than we're making now and there's no way that there's this many people shooting this stuff and and that's been the that's but been then, the uh, then who's who's buying it well <clears throat> this is what's happening in my neck of the woods there's a slug and when i say a, i'll use the term very loosely because i'm talking about these slimy little creatures that crawl across the lawn <laughs> There is a slug of guys that are going, and they're retired, and they got nothing better to do, and they go and they camp out at these different stores, Walmart and Meyer and, and a couple of different places that, that usually have huge amounts of bulk ammo. Right. <clears throat> and, um, and they camp out and they buy it as it comes off the shelf. They literally, they're there within minutes of it being placed on the shelf and they buy every box 
and there might be four or five or six. But guys. but sooner or later, what are they going to do with it? Well, they're 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 continuing to keep the the uh, the shelves empty, so that John Q. Public thinks that there is a shortage, and then they go on Gunbroker and they sell it for eighty dollars for for hmm. uh, a box of five hundred rounds. Hmm. That's and that's what they're doing, and hmm. that and that's a to me that's a big issue. Well, I I have uh, I have lots of friends with uh, FFLs. Yeah. So I I can get I can get it whenever I want it, but in but you know you the last I can't remember the last time I saw 22 ammo on the shelves. No, it's, I literally it's been a long, can't it's remember. It's been a long time. Yeah. It's been a very very long time, and it's very frustrating because, yeah. like I said, it makes you it changes your your shooting habits. Yeah, I mean, and that's um, that's the thing. That's why I think, you know, Obama and his administration has an incentive to change. The culture, they're, they they've said it. They want to change the culture, and one way to do that is just to make it so that, well, Jesus, if I can't get any ammo, then I'm going to find other shit to do with my time. Yeah, you know, I and I think that honestly, I I think that that's got to be part of it is that they're buying the ass pots of of ammo uh, and keeping it off the shelves so that people. Well, there's now up here. There's no shortage of anything but. 22 ammo now. Oh, here you, you can, can you can anything. you can buy you can buy as much uh, uh, 556, um, any pistol rounds for uh, 45 or or uh, 38 or 9 mil. You can buy you, you can now buy bulk loads of those again. Hmm. So so and I know like um, I believe it was Remington had just built a new plant for doing pistol rounds. Okay. Um, and so I, I there's no uh, there's no shortage of uh, of that kind of ammo right now hmm. up here, but it's but the 22 is still is still uh, not available, hmm. not not in any large amounts. Okay. Now uh, I got an email uh, from somebody that listens to the podcast that I was in residency with. He wanted me to uh, tell uh, some reminiscences of when we were in residency together. So I'm going to set the scene here. So uh, up to the time I was. Uh, a fourth-year resident, uh, there were no work restrictions on the number of hours that you would work. And so you'd go in on a Monday and leave the next Monday. That's that sort of shit, you know. Like literally an average week for me was 120 hours. And then if anybody went on vacation, you just never left, right? I mean, you're just working all the time. Uh, but when I was a fourth year, they passed this uh, 80 hours restriction. And... Uh, so we had to come up with a way. They actually passed it towards the end of my third year. And so we had to, and then we got busted because we weren't complying. So we had to figure out a way to deal with it. And so what we did was we set up a night float team. And uh, <laughs> your hours were um, 6 a.m. to 6 a.m., so Sunday to Monday. And then from Monday night, uh, 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., Tuesday night, 6 p. to 6 a., Wednesday, 6 p., 6 a., and you did that uh, Friday, 6 p., um, 6 a., because they had to give you 24 hours in a row off. So for three months, um, I was on night float as the chief resident, and uh, my strategy was to just give in and convert to being up at night. So I became a creature of the night. Hunted in my own land. <laughs> and so, like, you know, we, we, 
stuff changes at night. You know, you get, it was pretty busy up until like, you know, one o'clock in the morning, but then things start slowing down and, uh, people get less motivated to work. And so you stop getting so many calls and, and certainly after two or three, the world pretty much goes to sleep. And so we had time from like, uh, three in the morning till about six in the morning with basically nothing to do. And, uh, We'd do things like we'd watch movies, play video games, this sort of thing. Um, but one of the things we did was we started exploring the hospital and uh, finding all of these like little nooks and crannies and things. This is uh, University of Kansas in Kansas City. And uh, we, the hospital cafeteria that year started getting Krispy Kreme donuts. And uh, <laughs> we started noticing that we were like, Jesus, man, if we could just figure out where those are coming in at, maybe a couple boxes could fall off the truck. Because <laughs> about the same time, uh, they took our meal cards away. So, Ooh, nice. yeah, they, you know, so you're there. I want you to starve. Yeah, they, they, they not only work you for $2 an hour, but then they want to charge you um, money in the cafeteria to, to eat. And it used to be part of our contract that that was part of our wages was we would get a, a you know five dollars for a meal or whatever well they took that away and then didn't raise anything else so we were pretty pissed nice. um and uh different people acted in different ways um i didn't i didn't really do a whole lot about it i but we did try to figure out where these crispy creams were coming in and so, uh, were, were you able to? Well, they came in at 3:30. We we saw the truck arrive at 3:30 in the morning every day, and it pulled up to this one loading dock. We had it scoped out, and we'd go in. And then, so we we're like, well, shit, let's just wait 15 minutes and go in there and find the cart. And so we went in there, looked around, couldn't find the cart. And then uh, we did this a few days in a row. And but but every day at like 4:30 in the morning, you'd see the maintenance man guy with his big beer gut walking out of there, carrying a cart missing a few donuts, right? And uh, we're like, well, where's he hiding them? And so we, you know, we waited, waited, waited until uh, you know somebody had a big duty accident in the lobby or something, and he had to go out there and work on it. And uh, so we we looked all around there, and we found a, a secret elevator. And it was like it was like this secret elevator. It was disguised to not look like an elevator, and it was behind some like boxes and stuff. And he was taking the cart and hiding them in that elevator. And we're like, well, shit! If this is a secret elevator, then there's got to be other places that it goes, right? And we're in like <laughs> sub basement twelve or whatever at this point. And so we started. We took the elevator and we found all the parts where it led off. And everywhere it let off, it was like disguised. You know, it look, it'd be, you would never think that that was an elevator. And like, it's like a broom closet. Right. Kind yeah. Of stuff. There'd be like, there'd be like shit in front of it. Like they, they didn't want you knowing about this elevator. So the next day, um, the Krispy Kreme shipment comes in. We know exactly when it comes in. We know exactly when it goes into the elevator. So we were just on another floor and hit the send button for the elevator. Krispy Kreme's comes up. Door opens, <laughs> a few boxes of Krispy Kremes go off the cart, and we send it back down. <laughs> so, uh, so it was like Ocean's tw Ocean's Two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the other thing we found in that elevator 
uh, one time is they he had his like maintenance card in there with like tools and shit on it, and uh, there was a a piece of paper like to designate where this was supposed to go, and it said ground floor, G R O U N T F L O R E ground floor. <laughs> nice. Yeah. nice. And so, but that was the uh, Krispy Kreme heist of uh, the KU days. So it was Ocean Two. Yeah, Ocean's Two. I, I didn't see the movie, but if they do cool stuff like that, then awesome. So that there's a residency story for you. And now, ladies and gentlemen, for the annoying music segment, you've heard of Smoking Joe Frazier the boxer. Now we have Smoking Joe Frazier singing Little Dog Heaven. Okay, I got another email asking about gut hooks. Um, gut hooks are stupid, and that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, I, I hate <laughs> to say it, but I've never had use for one. You lift people, people. You lift up on the skin so that it separates from the uh, underlying organs. You make a tiny, very controlled slit, and while you are still lifting up, you slide the knife up and make sure that the tip of the knife doesn't hit any um, important stuff. Any vitals. Right. Yeah, you can put your finger right on the tip of the knife if you want yeah. to. Yeah, well, what I do is I, I have <clears throat> um, two fingers underneath lifting up, uh, and then I have the knife in between, and I, I just kind of slide forward, and I've never once hit mm-hmm. any any stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Gut hooks are for amateurs. <laughs> they're stupid. Okay, now... Um, Let's see, on my Instagram feed, I got a whole bunch of questions. From 365 Knives, he, 365 knives, he asks... Uh, <laughs> back, excuse me one second. Back to gut hooks. Okay. I, I almost think gut hooks are made for inexperienced hunters. That really or, don't know or, what they're doing. Or, or poor hunters. <laughs> <laughs> hunters that never get anything. Yeah, because they would have known <clears throat> they that don't, you don't need that to clean a deer. Exactly. Um, 365 <laughs> Knives asks... Your favorite knife care products, uh, for instance, lubes, greaser oils, cleaners, and storage. Um, I like Rem Oil. Yeah, I use um, I use the Blue Lube from Benchmade. Okay, um, is one of the things I use. It another, um, and I use Rem Oil too. I mean, it's whatever is convenient. Yeah, I mean, it could be olive oil too, as far as that goes. Or mineral oil. Um, mineral oil. But I have another uh, gun lube that I picked up that is that I have been known to spritz on once in a while. Don't you bark when I'll show. 
and that's been, um, I think it's a silver lube or something like that. It's what it's called. And it's a, it's, you know, it's one of the products you pick up at a gun store, but, um, you know, it's, any of those lubes will work as long as you are consistent. You know what, what I, what I do is, um, you know, once a week or so I'll take my, my, one of my seven tens and I'll, I'll just scrub the piss out of it. You know, I'll wash it real, real, real well. And, and, uh, um, dry it out with paper towels best I can and maybe let it sit on the counter for an hour or two and air dry. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then I'll spritz it with, with oil. Uh, people, uh, public service announcement, check your axes and put a little, yeah. it's now that yeah. it's that time of year. Yeah. Yep. Now, yep. as far as storage well, goes, uh, there's a, a fad on Instagram where they'll take these uh, Pelican cases and mm-hmm. uh, the kind with the plucking whatever foam. And yep. they'll pluck out a little spot for each knife, and I support this message. I think that's cool, but I don't. I don't have that. Yeah. Well, you know what's what's interesting about those? Um, I have a lot of Pelican cases. I love them. Mm-hmm. I use them all the time for all kinds of stuff. Uh, I would be a little bit concerned about uh, about moisture, condensation in them. Okay. You know, because they are because they are airtight. I, well, I no, they know have if... a little air valve on there, don't they? <clears throat> That's for pressure. Well, can you bit, can you put a, a silicone packet in there with them? Yeah, yeah, that would be what you'd have to do. I okay. think. Okay. Um, Joe Tactical asks, "What steels have you been working with in your knife making?" Uh, my three favorites are O1 Tool Steel, 1095 and 1075. The knife that I made you is 1075, uh, mm-hmm. and also. Uh, these uh, a stack of Husqvarna lawnmower blades that I got for like a dollar a piece, but don't tell anyone because I'm not supposed to do that. Those are like 1070, you think? Uh, yeah, they're they're a they're a uh, oil quench steel that is not through hardening. Have you tried folding it that into Damascus? No, I I the problem I have with Damascus is I don't have a power hammer. Um, it can beef up your arms a little bit. These guns are plenty big. <laughs> I don't need, and there's no way that uh, I, I just don't have the patience to try that because um, I don't. I'd rather. And the other thing with Damascus is, is like, my question has always been about the heat treat. How? How do you do it? You're you're mixing mild steel with a carbon steel. So how do you get the heat treat right on it? Magic. Okay. Uh, let's see. Another one, um, just a knife guy asks recommendation for sharpening solution that anyone can use and get a great edge. You go. I tell you what, I I love if if you don't have a if you don't have a belt grinder, I absolutely love the WorkSharp. Um, either model, I I like the Ken Onion model because it's variable speed, uh-huh. but but for for uh, um, for the average Joe. Either one of them is great um, for the for a guy that really uses his knives and don't want to spend hours at nauseum in front of a television set, stropping a blade back and forth. Um, you can accomplish uh, a very good edge in a relatively short period of time with a work sharp. And and um, start by practicing <clears throat> on knives that you don't have a sentimental attachment to. Yeah, because there's a yep, learning curve. Um, yeah, yeah, but it's not that steep. I mean, my dad, uh, my dad, and I've pr- probably mentioned this before. I love my dad dearly. 
he was he was one of the users of knives. I mean, he really used a knife until there was no more knife left. Right. And he sharpened his knife until there was no more sharpening left. Uh-huh. Um, and it might have been sharpening it on a grinder. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, on a stone grinder with a real fine stone. I mean, he was. Uh, and, and toward the end of his life, uh, he he still dulled the shit out of knives. Uh, but the problem with the with those knives were that they were now all of a sudden 154 cm and and uh, uh, some of the higher you know um, higher quality steels and they were difficult to sharpen. And he was bitching about it all the time, you know. And his knives would be dull, and I was always, you know, tasked with the, you know, sharpening his knives, and and he would dull them very, very quickly. And um, I got him one of those work sharps, mm-hmm. and it was the first time that I could remember in a long time that he wasn't bitching about the sharpness of his knives and the knives that I was giving him, mm-hmm. you know. And his, and it was his kitchen knives, and that was his. You know, so so I gotta say that the that the work sharp is uh, is definitely the tool that um, that is easy that you know that, that you can learn. You can use. I mean, I don't use the guides on mine at all, but you can use the guides if you want to. Um, and I've had extremely good luck with it. Um, you know, a lot of my friends are using it now and have it and have you know extremely good luck. I mean, you guys are taking them hunting with them. You know, <laughs> and. Uh, you know, they're, t- they're I mean, they're taking them on their camp trips mm-hmm. and stuff with them. You know, so that they have a way to sharpen their knives. Uh, but, but I got to tell you, it's it's a uh, it's a fairly it's a fairly inexpensive solution to a lifelong problem. Okay. You know, you you buy it once, and you're not gonna you're not gonna have any difficulties. If with if it. people have an aversion to using a machine. Uh, there are two solutions that I would recommend. One is the Edge Pro system um, that that I mm-hmm. I used for a long time. Um, they're really good. And then Ken Schwartz has that mm-hmm. thing with like the walnut handle and all that. Have you seen that thing? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, yep, yep. Yep. Ken Schwartz has a really good system. So if you don't if you don't want to use a machine and you want to do um, you know sharpening by hand using stones, either of those uh, systems is very very good. <clears throat> what I, what I have found being somebody who uses my stuff all the time I, I don't take the time to use one of those I mean if, if if that's one of those mundane tasks that I don't get off doing uh-huh. um, I want a sharp knife but I don't I don't enjoy the process right <laughs> so so if you're if you want to enjoy the process, and get in and become one with you know put on the put on your music and become your zen music and become one with uh, it would be with the blade um, steel. it would be you know what music Zamfir. Zamfir. it's like it's <laughs> it's like it's like the bushcraft uh, crowd um, if you want to do that that's that's fine I, I just don't have time for that yeah me neither I don't I don't make time for that it's not for, well, for one thing I'm ADD so I can't even sit that still. <laughs> Well, and here's how I sharpen my knives. Uh, I have a uh, Birkin grinder. I do a convex edge using a 120 grit ceramic belt. Then I go to a buffer uh, with 10 inch uh, spiral sewn wheels. I use a 240 grit compound, then a 320 grit compound, then a 600 grit compound. And I finish on a uh, wheel with uh, the black uh, stick compound. 
Um, it's basically the exact same method that Bark River uses. And mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. gets, as far as I'm concerned, that's the best edge that you can possibly put on a knife. Yep. Yep. And that's, yep. that's and what it's I fast. Use. Yeah, it takes me, it takes me uh, five minutes to put, take, yeah. take your shitty knife and put an edge on there that you can literally shave with. Like that, that yep. Bowie that you got. You can literally mm-hmm. shave with that thing, and it's a durable yep, yep. edge. You know, it, it, in my opinion, that's how I do it, but that's not for everybody. Okay. Yep. So uh, Seymour Made Knives asks, how about seeing if the various knife supply stores will talk about themselves and the services they offer? Um, that's a good idea. Uh, the, the places that I use are uh, Phoenix Abrasives. Your guy there is Sean, the sandpaper guy, Ryan. I use Jantz Supply. I use uh, Macecraft Supply uh, for handle materials, uh, and um, there's a couple others I'm forgetting, but those are my big three probably. Uh, you don't use Knives USA? Uh, I, th- I have ordered a few times. Kni- from- Knife Maker USA? What is that? What, what's the name of this company? Uh, Knife Maker USA? Uh, I can't remember. I, I've ordered from all of them at one point or another, but the the three that I most consistently order are from are Phoenix Abrasives. Midwest Knife Supply, USA Knife Maker. Yeah, I've, I've ordered from all of those places, and I think Midwest mm-hmm. Knife Supply is in Mankato, actually, and I'll probably stop by there. I'm going to Minneapolis next week. Um, oh. I'll probably stop by, but those are the three that I consistently order from are those three. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's see. I Like Knives A Lot asks... How about your favorite steels or handle materials? I also enjoyed hearing about the Walking Dead, even though they are on hi- uh, hiatus. So my favorite steels are high carbon <coughs> steels, um, and yeah, handle materials no I like. Uh, depends on the knife, but for stuff I'm going to be using a lot, I like um, micarta and G10 the most. Yeah, I like I like natural micarta. Yeah, I'm a big fan of it. Yep. <clears throat> uh, Walking Dead. What do you have to say about The Walking Dead? Well, they're coming back on shortly. Okay. The mid-season uh, uh, finale was in December, and I think, when, are, when is the next date they're coming on again? Uh, I just lost Jim. So Jim's internet just went out real quick there. How do you know it was mine? Because mine, I immediately went and opened up a bunch of web pages to check and make sure. Yeah, so did I. I just opened up. Hmm. Uh, oh well, then it was somewhere along the line then. <coughs> Somebody said, "Hey, stop that." Okay, so the so February eighth they come back on. Okay. So we got still got a month yet. Um, have you have you been watching it all? I, or no? I have not been able to find. Uh, they don't have the fifth season available for me to stream, and I don't have TV. So mm, they don't have that on uh, not yet on Netflix. Not or? yet. Wow. Yep. So I'm on hmm. I'm on break from it. Um, interesting. I'm interested to see what the fifth season has. Uh, I try to avoid the spoilers, though. Uh, <laughs> Carl was so less the, annoying. So the, at the end of the fourth season was what? Where did they end it? Oh, uh, they ended in the train car. They're locked in the train car. Yeah. 
Okay, so you... So, oh! <laughs> Wait till you see the season premiere of season five. Okay. That was the one that, was the one that my wife woke me up uh, in the middle of the night and said, Oh my God, you've got to watch this. Because we recorded it and... and um, uh, and watch it usually at a later date. Uh-huh. And somehow or another, it, the, the the TV turned on and recorded it, and it, the TV was on when she was watching it. I mean, it, like, woke her up. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and she paused it and rolled over and woke me up. It was, like, 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh-huh. And said, you got to watch this. This is the most disturbing thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it was pretty bad. Okay, well, I'm, so I'm excited you, to watch that. Uh, Easy E says the political segment is always interesting. Um, and the other thing he has been doing recently is he's taken up the making of homemade sauerkraut um, using a pickle oh, mice. Nice. So congrats to him. <clears throat> the the uh, I, I happen to see uh, our beloved president was out spending our money uh, for the last couple nights at the most fanciest restaurants in the world <laughs> uh, in, uh, in Hawaii. And having no problem doing that. And, well, because uh, you know, what's King, good for King us Barack. is yeah. What's good for us is not good for him. But uh, right, King King Barack. But I just saw a thing the other day, and I don't know that there was a uh, was it the seventh district or the ninth district basically said that his uh, uh, his alien uh, uh, um, executive action was illegal did you happen to catch any news on i, I mean i i've been without fox for the past freaking i i don't have tv so i don't i don't watch the well, there, tv news but. there was a there was a uh apparently there was a someone brought it to court his uh his his basically his elect executive action saying that they were not going to deport anybody uh was illegal he didn't even do an executive order he did a memo <clears throat> So there is no well, there is no executive order. He just told people to stop enforcing stuff. There's no well, actual and, executive order. And it's and that's and that's and apparently the the court said that you can't do that. Hmm. <laughs> you can't. You do not have the authority to tell people that they can't enforce the law. Well, he is the <clears throat> executive branch, and they are in charge of enforcing the law, right? Yeah, but he can't say don't do it. Yeah. Well, they did it to Arizona, um, and they've done it pretty consistently throughout the administration and that's been one of the criticisms that people have had now yeah. um everyday commentary which as you know is uh anthony scalambrini who runs the gear geeks live podcast i highly recommend that you listen to that he said i like the recent found material knives you made uh talk about the process versus standard knife making um so what he's talking about is somebody will hand me a piece of steel and say can you make something out of this and if it's a if it's an actual blade steel, the chances are I can. Um, and then it's just trying to figure out what knife is sitting inside that steel, uh, because there'll be different things like there'll be a hole here or it'll be a certain length, and trying to figure out what knife is in the steel, and then uh, bringing it out, I guess, is how it's different than like typical production stuff. You come up with a des- design. You transfer the design to the steel, you grind it out or cut it, have it cut out or whatever, and go from there. Um, with the found materials, you're kind of doing things kind of ass backwards, but it's fun for me, so I like that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, TD Hurl1103 says, discuss the features or design characteristics which make a knife tactical instead of utility, and the overuse of the word tactical to describe mundane or common knife designs as a selling point and how it might be hurting the business or vilifying the knife industry. <clears throat> I have a tactical toothpick. <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hang on a second. I'll go get hey, it. actually, I'm going to go put that loaf of bread in the oven, so take, take okay. a, a few seconds here. All right, sounds yep. good. We got to talk about uh, tactical knives. What makes them tactical? What about a tactical toothpick? Can you see this? Yeah. What is it? Tactical toothpick. <laughs> it's a. He's got a little gold chain with a little gold toothpick. Nice. It's actually you. I would take this on an airplane, and I could use this to take a stab somebody in the neck. You could use a pen. <laughs> Yeah, but this has got a nice sharp point. Okay. I I could do this like this. <laughs> Make little teeny stab tiny little dents in their knife. Yeah, stab them in the eyeball. My friend got a big coyote, 35-pound coyote today. Huh. Dan Proc now. Do you remember Dan? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Dan got a 35-pound uh, um, 35-pound uh, coyote this morning. Okay. Nice. Yeah. I don't shoot coyotes okay, so myself, but, but no, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to try to do that this year. I, uh, I don't really, shoot coyotes. Why? They kill all the deer. They, they don't kill deer. Yeah, they do. Well, ma- Oh yeah. They kill, they kill spring fawns. They kill rabbits. They kill, they kill, 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 Yeah, but kill. that's like, part so, of the, that's part of the ecosystem. Well, yeah, but they, they overpopulate. That's the problem. Well, they'll have a starvation eventually. Yeah, but I don't want to be around that. <laughs> See, it's just a reason to shoot something and kill something. I love to kill stuff. Yeah, but coyotes are cool. It's kind of like my yeah. uh, adopted animal because it's like a dog, only it's like uh, more solitary and stronger and stuff. It's stronger than a wolf because coyotes can do it without society and stuff. I like coyotes. Yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna give. I'm gonna do an Instagram. What is tactical, have, though? Um, to me, to, it's overused because everything is everything is tactical. I mean, there's you literally can apply that to absolutely everything. Caf, tactical coffee cup, tactical freaking beanie, tactical cartoon. Nothing fancy uh, had a tactical scooter <laughs> that was supposed yeah, to help you I mean, in like. Without rule of law situations. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think it's a I think it's a term that's overused. Um, 
and uh, I find it I find it intrigued I'm intriguing that that people use it the way they use it. But what um, are the features? I, and and to me to me it <clears throat> tactical to me means something that that in in some kind of emergency I can reach for it and it's within my grasp and I can utilize it very easily. Hmm. Um, some people think that it's has to be something painted black with black no shine uh, features, you know, so that nobody can see it, so it can be used in the stealth mode. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I, you know, people think of the military when they say tactical. Yeah, I would say like police and military, right? Yeah, that, well, that's, but you know what? If you're hanging off a tower 250 feet in the air and you need to cut something and you reach into your pocket and you pull out your pocket knife, because you're hanging on with for dear life with both your hands and your straps, why wouldn't that be considered tactical? Um, if your if your pant leg is caught in a lawnmower and getting sucked in, um, or some kind of a farm piece of farm equipment, and you reach in your pocket and pull out your pocket knife, why is that not tactical? It is, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'd like uh, so, one hand. So you're opening. like your leather belt. You're like your leather belt. That you can use for a for a uh, you know in a, you know a make do situation. Why isn't that tactical? I mean, yeah, people overuse that way too much. I honestly I don't understand what the whole thing is, but you know if you see somebody that says this is a tactical knife versus something that um, so if you compare something that is quote, quote unquote a tactical knife and then compare it to like a traditional slip slip blade uh, slip slip joint blade. Like uh, like a uh, like a zero tolerance zero uh, three hundred or something like that. Some of those kind of big beefy. They have a certain look about them, but how do you define that? Really? Well, don't don't you think that don't you think that the seven ten looks tactical? Yeah, the seven ten I would say is a tactical knife, but it's not. It wasn't initially marketed that way, was it? Or was it? I don't know. I don't. I, I guess I don't remember. Well, I mean, no, I think that they marketed it as a very handy one-handed knife. Yeah. I mean... I'd say the 940, I don't think it is tactical, but... I I mean, and by tactical, I don't even know what it means. I just, I just, I think there's a certain set of features that you kind of look at a knife and you say, well, that was designed to be quote-unquote tactical, whatever that means. You know, it was meant to look like you could, like take on the world with it or what you know i don't know stabs stab zombies in the forehead yeah that sort of thing <clears throat> well i don't know okay prison shank prison shank is tactical okay our friend uh, uh jared uh wanted us to talk about the jerry hassam harpoon have you seen this thing <laughs> of course i saw it. i saw it at, at its inception terrell hoffman had uh design in the, what happened? Design, what, didn't he? Yes, yes. What happened was, Terrell Hoffman uh, worked with Jerry Hossam, and who actually did up the drawing or whatever was, I believe, Jerry Hossam actually drew up the knife and actually made the first ones. I have a, I have a Hoffman harpoon. Okay. Made, made by Jerry Hossam. Okay. <clears throat> and. 
when it was first presented to me, I said, this thing is awesome. What you need to do is you got to go to some place that can make you an extremely cheap knife, get three of them for 30 bucks, and you will have an absolute winner. Of course, that's not what a custom knife maker wants to hear. Um, and uh, Tara Hoffman went to Tops. Now you can buy one for 100 bucks. I don't give a shit who you are. You're not taking one and making a frog gig out of a $100 knife, and you're not making a, uh, a frog gig out of a Jerry Hossum $300 knife. It ain't happening. Yeah. You're, you're putting it in a zipper and you're putting it in a bag. But if you had three of them for 30 bucks, that would be fucking throwing them as spears all over the place. Okay. Because, because they're cool. Because you can, you, make, you can make a nice frog gig out of them. I mean, you, can, you have a deal to scrape out a, a beautiful trench. You have the paracord to wrap it. Yeah. And you, you have a, a heck of a, a survival tool if you had three of them for 30 bucks. Okay, now but, here's, here's the problem I have with them. Uh, they're expensive. Uh, and I don't know that these people have ever actually used a harpoon or a spear for anything. Otherwise, they would have designed it a little different. Well, they're kind of a um, the one I the, idea the one I have harp- has got a harpoon is that you stick it into something and it's got a cord attached to it. The tip breaks and it away, doesn't come out. And uh, you that you then have something tethered uh, to whatever whatever it is you want to tether it to, and uh, right. it's not going to pull out. That thing would come right out. It's not a harpoon, number one. <clears throat> uh, the one the one I have the one I have is 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 if you stuck it in something. It, it ain't coming out. The back side of it is flat. So if you if you stuck it in a critter, the critter's not going to get away. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I don't mean, know. It's not, I, it's not a... It's, it doesn't look like uh, uh, necessarily like the tops one. The one I have has got a flat spot on the back. So if you shoved it in... See, when you put that on your... When you... When you build your spear, it's basically a spear. I mean, they're just calling it a Hoffman harpoon because it was a checky, catchy name. It's a, it's like a frog spear. It's a, like a spear tip. But uh, even a, even the guys that gig frogs, that that the one that I'm looking at, that's not gonna. It doesn't have a barb. How is it gonna? How is it gonna effectively? Well, the back, the back side of the blade, the back side of the blade is flat. Uh, this one and it ain't com- it, it must it's, be. It's, it's, it ain't coming out. Um, no, oh, the one that I have. Okay, that doesn't mean it's the it's perfect. But like I said, the one the if if um, I mean for the most part, if you're if you're stabbing something through the you know in a riverbed like a trout or something, um, you basically are going to hold it down yeah. and grab it. And that's you're, that's you're, the whole thing. Is like I've you know, I've actually I've actually fished with a with a spear and a harpoon and mm-hmm. the, and the whole the whole point is is that you're using it to pin it against the ground and right. uh, God forbid it it manages to get away you just want to make sure that the thing that you've stuck into it doesn't um, right. that that right. it doesn't dislodge your <laughs> spear so that you have some sort of a tether on it right but, well this this. Uh, the, the the whole problem with the with that this whole concept was the fact that they couldn't build them and sell them for less than a hundred bucks. Huh. You know, the only way you could the only way that that becomes an effective item is if you're freaking willing to use it. Uh-huh. Now, I am not willing to take a five hundred dollar piece, tie it to a stick, and drive it into a rock bed uh, a river. 
a rock, a, a gravel bottom river. Right. I'm just not not willing to do it because you're going to shove it right through a fish. Yeah, and then it's going <clears> to or whatever it is, gonna and then you, and then it's going to be banged up on the bottom. Right. Yeah. Well, but it, but if you had three of them for thirty bucks, you would if they were ten bucks a piece, you would do it. Yeah. You would have no problem doing it. Okay. Now here's my other thing, is that uh, there's there's a lot of ways to make just with a regular knife you can make. Uh, we should do a video on this sometime. You you can make your spear to spearfish just with with a stick um, yes. you just split the end and then put uh put, a wedge put wedges in down there. in there to keep it spread and then y- if you must you can harden it a little bit in the fire so that it doesn't immediately break but you use it you're using it different than i mean if the if you were going to actually use that as a harpoon then i want a way to stick the dart into something. I want to know that the dart's not going to come out, and then it needs to have a cord attached to it so that I have a hold of whatever it is I've harpooned. So you're talking about like like if you were spearfishing jewfish or something like something that. Something huge. Gigantic. Yeah, so like... So gigantic 700-pound tunas or something like yeah, that. Yeah, well, somewhere around here, I actually have an actual whaling harpoon. Yeah. And and yeah. it's, you know, it's very it's a very different product than, what, than this thing. So... I don't like it, um, but you know it's just one guy's opinion. What the hell do I know? Yeah, well, like I said, if, if it was if it was uh, something that was, um, hey, enough, enough from the peanut gallery. Come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. There's no reason, none of this. Um, if it was, uh, <clears throat> I think it would be better accepted if it was uh, something really inexpensive. Something that if you just had three of them, you could throw in your in your backpack or throw them in your car or or whatever that you would you would actually not be afraid to use one. Yeah. But but like I said, the way that they did it, um, it, it basically said you're never going to tie this up to a stick and throw it at anything. Um, you know, and I think the point was you could actually hunt like a pig with it, or you could hunt a you know hunt some other kind of critter with it. Rather than just throwing it in, a, I mean, you could actually put it. In, yeah, you could use it as a theoretically. Spear. But again, if you're going to hunt pigs with that, I don't really honestly see that being used to successfully one-shot lethal blow a pig. Hopefully so not. I think what's going to happen is you're going to stick this pig. It's going to freak out. It's going to charge you. It's going to break the stick, and the thing is going to run away with your $500 thing in it. Whereas if yeah. it, whereas if you actually lashed the, if you actually had that functioning as a real harpoon, um, and were able to tie off the thing in time, the the piggy wouldn't get away. You could bash him on the head and slit his throat like we do or whatever. But um, I don't know. I just I just I I just do not that think was a- that that was designed by someone who had ever actually used a harpoon or a spear to fish. Yeah. Well, it was it was done it's by cool uh, looking, but yeah, that was done by Terrell Hoffman and uh, and Jerry Hossum, and <clears throat> they are no longer talking to one another. Um, some kind of insults had traded, and that was the end of that. Hmm. Uh, it, which is kind of sad because they were pretty good friends. Um, but I know that I know that when I was when it was shown to me. I, I thought the idea would have been really good for it to be a, you know, three for ten, free, th- 
$10 a piece, three for 30 bucks, or three for 25 bucks, or something like that. Okay. And I think that they had sold the snot out of them. Um, you know, just because just because you you would use it if you had three of them, you know, you could use you wouldn't you would not be afraid of using it. Okay. And I think the way it you know even the tops knives is a hundred bucks. I don't I pretty sure isn't it? I don't, I don't know. I I haven't ever I haven't ever bought one. So I I mean, listen, interesting concept. I think uh, what needs to happen is is uh, Somebody who's actually used a spear to spearfish or has actually used a harpoon needs to just do... It'd be a subtle change to that thing. Very, very subtle. Uh, and then do what Jim says and uh, make three for ten bucks. Yeah. Or three for thirty dollars. Basically disposable harpoon points. But but make sure... Right. Make sure that... Um, yeah, see, mine, mine doesn't look like that. Mine looks like... Uh, Mine looks like it's got a the, it's flat on the back. Okay. And it and it's got a flat on the back. So like if it went in, that flat would the skid would close up behind it and it would it would uh uh it would not come out very easy. Well, let me let me just quick sketch for you what I think the the tip should look like. Should look like that. Yeah. That's that's yeah. what an actual harpoon looks like, and and I have an actual well, and you gotta, harpoon. And you got to and you got to look at the 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 complete package here. What the point of this is 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 a knife that can be used as a spear point. And so if you can't have that backwards piercing thing, if you're worried about using it as a knife, because your hand is going to be jabbed on it. Well, what you do is you um. It wouldn't even, you wouldn't have to make that sharp round off the round it off like here I'll I'll redraw it um, round it off mm-hmm that's fine yeah. just round it off that, <laughs> it, that, it, rounding it off isn't gonna change how effective it is if I probably even make it more effective as an actual hook um, and, and as an actual harpoon if you did it like that yeah. but this is bullshit <laughs> sorry guys. I didn't mean to. Yeah. I, I mean, well, I, it, you know, I know Terrell Hoffman. I like Terrell Hoffman a lot. Um, but that's not, and it's a clever idea, but functional wise, it's not for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because Bud K knocked it off. Um, and they're selling him a three pack of survival harpoons for uh, twelve dollars. Well, there you go. <laughs> now, now you're talking. Okay. <coughs> and one of them, and one of them looks like uh, one of them looks exactly like your uh, um, as the as the as the the, uh, the Hoffman harpoon. Okay. Now let's see. Um, uh, somebody else opinion on hosh, hashtag knives and coffee picks on Instagram. I I haven't seen it. Have you seen this? No. Nope. 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 Uh, let me just look here. Okay, so they'll have like a knife next to a cup of coffee. Um, I like oh. I like the pictures of the knives. <laughs> well, I don't understand well, why you pair it with the cup of coffee, but okay. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna Instagram my my latest. Uh, um, you know those stay calm. Uh, calm your ass down bracelets. Yeah, co- no, well, co- coffee uh, cups and. 
things that say uh, stay or keep calm and press on or move on or okay. There's a whole series of coffee cups like that, and okay. I have one now that's uh, uh, it's not, the handle says keep calm, and then it, you turn it on the front of it and it says now panic and freak out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, two two more quick ones. Iron City three one three asks. Uh, Options for knife collection storage. Do you use rolls, cases, <laughs> compost method, etc.? <laughs> yes, I use all of the above. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't have rolls or cases. I mostly do the compost method. What I really want is one of those uh, boxes. Those en- what do they call that? It's like an engineer Gerstner, box. Or... Yeah, Gerstner's yeah. Uh, uh, machinist toolbox. That's really what I want. But I don't. Yeah, yeah, those are nice. I use I use jewelry boxes. I use um, I use cases. I use display cases. I use uh, uh, have you seen the foot lockers? Yeah, mine is the compost <laughs> method. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I use I use foot lockers. I use uh, drawers. I use um, uh, a whole bunch of different things. But you I'm, know what? We've been at this for two hours and fifteen minutes. We have and one quick thing left. Okay, we need to finish this up because okay. I'm about. Uh, I got a bunch of stuff I got to do today. One more question: How to not round off the tip when using a belt grinder sander? Um, Ooh, start start at the tip. Don't start at the handle. Start at the tip, and very very carefully grind the tip the way you want it. And if you do round it off, um, don't keep chasing it. Just just go on top of the spine of the knife and grind the spine down to reform the point. Um, and then I got a bunch of questions on Facebook that I won't be able to get to. Um, but I do have an email. Well, listen, why don't we why don't we plan on doing another one like right away, like in two days? You got to hear this email. Okay. Go okay. Ahead, uh, this is this is, the one that's going to make me angry? No, you're going to love it. Um, so okay. b- before that, uh, I need to I need to say some New Year's resolutions. Number one, I'm gonna do something to better my life that Jim knows about that will shock and awe the world. Uh, number two, <laughs> I'm going to continue to hate on hipsters. Number three, I'm going to continue the healthy lifestyle with the gym, good eating, running, all this stuff. And number four, I'm going to continue to hate kuskas, roundabouts, soccer, moras, and all other symbols of collectivism. <laughs> so that's that's my New Year's resolutions. Somebody asked me what that was. So... That's that's funny. So this this that's funny. This is a very good email that I got. This guy says uh, the subject was confessions of a hipster. Help me be a man. <laughs> so right there, I was like, okay, I'm opening this. And it says, uh, dear sirs, I have a confession to make. I am a hipster. I am all of the things that you talk about when you berate hipsters. It was cool when I was younger, just out of college and starting a new job at the coffee shop. <laughs> all, all my friends dressed and thought alike. We all liked the same stupid, obscure bands, and as soon as somebody else started liking them, we changed immediately. We all got tattoos of old, crappy film cameras that we never had or knew how to use, and fixed-wheel bikes, which our skinny, scrawny legs were too weak to pedal anyway. (laughs) Then hipster fashions changed, and I grew a beard, just like all my friends. We all voted for Obama, 
Now the bloom is off the rose, both for Obama and hipsterism. I realize that hipsters are complete and total douchebags. In short, I need a man makeover. A few questions, if you would. Number one, my question is about shaving my beard. Uh, one of the problems I used to have while shaving uh, was that I would get razor burn and bumps and little infections. Um, can you help me out with avoiding razor burn after shaving? Number two, help me build a manly physique. <laughs> I wear uh, skinny jeans because I have to. I have pasty white skin and no muscles anywhere in my body. I look like that prince on Braveheart. Forgive <laughs> Forgive my choice of words, but I look wimpy and fruity. Uh, <laughs> number three, can you suggest any manly reading? Uh, GQ and the New Yorker and the Atlantic have really interesting articles, but I fear that they had a feminizing influence on me and partly led to my former liberal politics. Uh, number four, how can I start learning to do manly things when all of my friends are wimpy losers? Thanks in advance. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a school. And please don't I, use my name. <laughs> I am going to start. I, I think I'm going to start a school. Okay, let's go point by point. Shaving. <clears throat> what do you do so that um, you don't get like razor burn and such? You know what? I I have uh, I shave my head, and right now I have a beard, but I'm going to shave it off here because it was after the first of the year. Um, I I shave in the shower. Dude, I use a bar of soap. I don't use anything special. I use a bar of soap. It could be Irish Spring. It could be some foo-foo fancy olive oil soap that we happen to buy some at a, at a TJ Maxx or something like that. Uh -huh. <clears throat> um, I use nothing special. I belong to, and I, I should actually put some kind of link up so I get paid for this, but I use the Dollar Shave Club. Okay. Um, I use, I get four blades uh, and a handle. I, four blades a month. I get the middle package, so it's like six dollars a month. Mm -hmm. And and I use uh, I use the blades until they start pulling. And and I stand in the shower and I shave my head by feel and I shave my face by feel. Um, when I say by feel, is I soap up my head and I I. Uh, Use my my one hand to control the razor, and I follow up with my other hand to feel if I miss anything. Um, and I shave every day. Okay. Um, Do you use anything after? And, and no, nothing. Okay. Nothing. And you know, I've got relatively sensitive skin. I mean, I still get zits at you know at fifty. Huh. <laughs> oh wait, I'm thirty six. I still get. I still. I still will have. Uh, and and not where I'm shaving. You know, I mean, it might be on my nose or something like that. So, I mean, it's not like I have, like, like super rough and tough skin that I, you know, I still have, I, I still get some things like some skin blemishes and stuff that are not, not shave related. Hmm. And, and I never get, like, razor burn or nothing like that. Or maybe I'm getting razor burn, I just don't notice. Maybe my skin is so tough that, you know, I could be shaving with a freaking axe and it wouldn't make a difference. I don't know. But, but I, but I, about, um... September. I used to use those um, uh, Gillette uh, uh, so fucking expensive razor blades that I cringed every time I bought refills. Uh -huh. I don't remember what the name of it was, but they were like really Mach expensive. three or whatever. Yeah, yeah, really expensive. Uh -huh. And uh, out out of 
shits and giggles. I joined that Dollar Shave Club. I watched the video on, and I, I laughed through the video. Um, I joined it, and I've been really happy with the with the razor blades. Um, I have I have shaved with uh, a single blade um, old school razors, mm-hmm. you know, and and have not had those kind of problems with it. But uh, um, I don't know. I <coughs> I'm pretty happy with that whole that whole process. Literally six dollars a month keeps me in razor blades. That's very nice. Yes, um, and I, and I don't have any problem with that. Okay, okay so. When I was in uh, residency, it was the first time where I had to start uh, um, shaving regularly because before that, I wasn't an employee or anything like that, so I could let I could just grow whatever facial hair I wanted for as long as I wanted and then shave when I felt like it. And I tended to let um, let things grow for you know a few few days to a week and then shave because if I shaved more often than that, I was getting like razor burn and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, so I, for a while, mm-hmm. I did that in residency. But one of my attendings got, got really pissed at me, and he was a a Marine in the Vietnam era and was involved in some of the more horrendous uh, combat operations over there. And he just wasn't having it. And I'm like, well, I'd shave every day if you could tell me how to do it, where I don't get like infections and stuff. And he's like, that's easy. You get a uh, you get uh, you buy those disposable razors. Uh, you use them one time and one time only. Uh, you shave in the shower uh, so that there's less friction and stuff like this. And then you throw the razor away and put some aftershave on that contains alcohol. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll try it. And I'll be damned if it didn't work. Now, I don't use the disposable razors. I use uh, um, the Gillette... Uh, Mach threes because I, I it, because of the more blades it uses less passes, and yeah. I think it, the more passes you do the more problems you get. You you would like you would like this Dollar Shave Club if the middle package because it's a multiple blade. I think there's three, I think there's three blades in mm-hmm. it, and they're and they're cheap, dude. They're cheap. Nice. You know, I mean they're a do- I mean it's like a dollar a week. Okay. Well, so so then. You know, I didn't have any money, and I, you know, so I said, well, can you recommend some, like, aftershaves? And he's like, just go to Walgreens and buy the cheap shit. So I have five recommendations for aftershave uh, that will do the job. I know they do the job because I use them. I'm going to go in order of my least favorite to most favorite. Least favorite is Aqua Velva. Uh, it does the job, and it gives you, like, a nice, like, minty feel to your skin. <laughs> Uh, second favorite would, or second least favorite. I mean, these are all good. Okay. But I, so I'm ranking them least favorite to most. Next one would be old spice. I use potato vodka. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> old spice. Uh, they recently changed the bottle. It used to be a glass bottle with a gray plastic stopper. It's now a plastic bottle with a red plastic stopper. The next one up from that, um, I would have to put as uh, brute. Um, has a very nice smell, very manly smell, very kind of classic. The next one is an older one. Uh, the oldest aftershave, I think it's 1818 was when it was invented, is uh, Club Man that you can get at Wal- Walgreens. And it's, uh, the, the company that puts it out is P-Node, P-I-N-A-U-D, just Club Man. Um, I like that one, but my all-time favorite, best aftershave that I've ever had or smelled is English Leather Baby. 
you got to get some English leather. It's it's freaking awesome. Um, so that's that's what I would say about the whole shaving and razor burn thing. And um, it's time for you to start being a man. Okay. Yeah. And well, you know what? <laughs> I, you know, and it's funny. Uh, it, it is a uh, <clears throat> it, the shaving part of it is important, and a lot of people think that you you know you have to buy all these expensive products to do what we do, and 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 you really don't. No. I mean, um, you know what I what I found was the more often I use shaving cream, the more problems I had. Uh-huh. When I started using just regular, I mean, Ivory soap works good. Kirk's Castile works really good. Hell, I use. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll get a bug in my ass, and I'll use Fells Nafta soap okay. in the shower. You know, and that's that's like a laundry detergent. You know, you want to <laughs> toughen your skin up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. you, you, use some shit like that. Um, you know, my wife doesn't complain about that. I mean, she she loves me. Good. Okay, well, let's you let's know? get on since you got to go. Qu- question number two is help me build a manly physique. W- where that, do you start? I would say, I would say um, depending on where you live... I would say get yourself a uh, um, a wood stove and uh, a chainsaw and start cutting and splitting wood. Um, that was that was what what I did. Learn how to use a use a uh, a chainsaw properly and use how to cut and split wood properly and stack wood and and stay out of the gym. Um, I, the gyms are the gym will give you muscles that you don't need (laughs) the gym will give you muscles that that may look manly but they're not muscles that you'll need in day-to-day life i mean i don't know how many times i have ever um picked up something and pulled it to myself several times like this (laughs) doing the doing the curling motion i almost never do that unless i'm feeding my face Mm -hmm. and i'm using a big turkey leg yeah a big manly turkey big manly turkey leg or something like yeah. that but 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 for the most part it, that's not something that you that you're lifting with um when this turkey gobbles you know, people hear it for fucking miles like it just echoes yeah, off the hill it's it's like a prehistoric it's like a prehistoric turkey yeah like just huge. that's the kind of turkeys that we have. but right. but seriously uh, you know i mean i i never lifted weights when i was a kid when I grew up, and all through high school, I never lifted weights. That was something I just didn't do. Yeah. Um, and I'm fairly—I mean, I'm older now, so I'm not near as strong as I used to be. But uh, I still can hold my own pretty well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I—I'm I, still pretty strong. Yeah. Um, I hoist a pretty good-sized chainsaw still. Yeah. And and I think it's—it's it's like the day-to-day. I mean, if you look look back at movies like. Um, when you when you look at a movie back in from the 40s and the 50s, and you look at somebody that didn't have a shirt on, and you looked at the physique of like, um, like, like um, I'm trying to think of his name, Charles now. Bronson. Uh, yeah, those kind of guys. Those those guys were not muscle men. They were not guys that went to a gym and worked out and had well defined biceps and well defined. Uh, but if you look at them, you you know goddamn well those guys were strong. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, you look at, at um, oh, what the hell was his name that was in, uh, uh, he was in The Longest Day, uh, Robert Mitchum. Yeah. I mean, you look at Robert Mitchum, pictures of photographs of Robert Mitchum when he was young, and I'll tell you what, there was that was a man that was very, very strong. 
and did not look to me like he was the kind of guy that lifted weights. Okay. He looked like the guy that was that was working out on a wood pile or or you know was a real working man. Um, I, I'm I'm not I'm not against going to the gym, but what I what I'm saying is that you will develop muscles that will make you look like a man if you're doing manly things to earn the muscles. Okay. Now this this um, this guy um, probably lives in the city. Probably has no opportunity to do any of that stuff. So I'm going to make a recommendation for him uh, that you you probably won't like, but he needs to join a gym because otherwise he's not going to get he's not going to even get a start on it. Um, he won't even be able to get a start on it until he gets some way to put um, resistance against his uh, non-existent flabby muscles. Okay, now. Uh, my own history with uh, weightlifting was I weightlifted for sports. So I was a wrestler. I weightlifted then in college. Um, I weightlifted out of boredom, and uh, I I got pretty freaking, you know, pretty good. I mean, I was never bodybuilder. Right? That's not what I was doing it for. I was lifting more for strength and and general fitness. Now, um, what he needs to do is uh, he's going to be embarrassed to buy a book on this because he's all wimpy and stuff. Um, but what he can do is he can go to Amazon and buy the Kindle edition of the new Encyclopedia of Modern Bodybuilding. And it's uh, written by Arnold Schwarzenegger, and this is like the 12th edition or whatever. But you can get it on Kindle, and you don't have to have a Kindle to read it. You can get a Kindle reader for your iPhone. You can get it for your iPad or whatever. And it's only 16 bucks. Right. But the reason this book is good is because he's using uh, time tested methods to kind of help you build muscle and stuff like this. Now, um, this guy, the first time he goes to the gym is going to follow the instructions for the beginner workout exactly. And he's going to walk away from there. uh, He's going to walk away from there fine, feeling pumped. The next morning he's going to wake up and not be able to get out of bed. So what I want you to do is instead of doing what Arnold says, if I remember right, is uh, like say you're going to do bench presses. You do four sets. The first one is uh, 15 reps, um, but you don't stop at 15. You, you Hopefully it's 15, and then that last rep you need help to get up. So you do every exercise to failure, but he's saying do four sets the first one is 15, the next one is like 10, the next one is like 8, and the final one is like 6. If you do that the first time, you're going to die. Just just go to the gym and do one set of 15. And do this for a while. And then add in a second set of 10. You know, But don't, don't follow it exactly, because this guy sounds like he's literally just getting off the couch. And he, he'll, he'll get beat up so bad, he, he might even go into kidney failure. Like, if he works out as hard as Arnold says his first time to the gym, he's going to get what's called uh, myoglobinuria. He'll break down his muscles so bad that uh, it'll break down muscle cells and myoglobin will be released into the bloodstream and it'll kill your kidneys. So start easy, but work up to the workouts that are in that book and you will develop a manly-ass physique that all the ladies will love and all of your douchey hipster friends will envy. And that's my, uh, okay, so point number three, can you suggest any manly reading? You go. Manly reading. Um, Actually, the series by uh, um, 
Oh, crap. The killing Lincoln, killing um, Jesus, killing... Oh, Bill uh, O'Reilly. Bill, yeah, that series of books by Bill O'Reilly is extremely, extremely interesting. And very manly. Um, <clears throat> I think the... I think the Bible's pretty manly. Um, you know, grow up here and read that. Um, that'll really piss off your liberal friends. Oh God! If they caught if they caught you, <laughs> that's the book that you need to buy in hardcover and and read it. And you will yeah. your hip, hipster friends will probably get in a fight with you. And yep, then you yep, can actually yep. use some of your new gym muscles uh, that are going to be all and buff and stuff. I'd also recommend that uh, if you've if you've never taken any kind of a martial arts or done any kind of a sport, pick one and do it. Um, sign up for some classes. Go. And, and not because you're going to get in fights and beat people up, but just so that you get some physicality, so that you yep. – just just doing that will build muscle, you know, just having a physical outlet for all of your stuff. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what else, too. Don't be afraid to jump rope. Yeah, yeah. You'll build core. You'll build legs. You know, Go running. You yep. want to build your legs, run. Okay? You yep. will If you run for a year, you're not fitting into any skinny jeans anymore. Um, yeah. Don't ask me how I know that. Yeah. Um, um, other manly reading. Um, oh, books about farm tractors, <laughs> <laughs> collecting, collecting farm tractors, get, you know, thrashing machines. <laughs> okay. Here's, here's something, um, here's something he can start with. Uh, again, for the Kindle, go buy, uh, the, the, go buy a Mac Balan book. That'll get your, oh. <laughs> that'll get your testosterone revved. Okay. Uh, and, uh, I like, you know what, I like Clive Clustler books too. I mean, I guess I like, you know, I like Clive Clustler books. Yeah, uh, you know, Larry they're, McMurtry, they're, so yep, lon- the Lonesome yep. Dove series. Uh, yep. Let's see, um, g- read some Louis you know Moore books. Read. Uh, hey, I'm going to tell you the, the some of the, my, the classics that I loved when I was a kid. Okay. Jack Jack London. Yeah, yeah. Um. Uh, manlier books you'll never find. Uh, Hemingway. Than Jacqueline. Ernest Hemingway. Okay. Um, uh, o. Henry mm-hmm. had a unique w- way of writing that are that is, uh, you know, to me is is I mean those classic books are are. <clears throat> I think a lot of people are missing out on those kinds of books today. Um, Reading like the, you know, if you if you if you're a man and you've read the Twilight books, you might as well just freaking read Robinson Crusoe sl- right now. You, <laughs> you might you might as well just go hang yourself right now because I you, there's no helping you. I don't read think. Huck Finn. Um, Huckleberry Finn. Oh yeah, Tom Sawyer books. Oh yeah, those were awesome. Okay, I mean those were good. My side of the mountain. Yeah, awesome book. A, a simple read that'll ground you right away. Um, the the one book uh, the one Louis Lamore book he needs to read right now is that one the the last brave or what is that the last uh, oh it's the one where he goes to Russia he's like yeah um can't think of the name of it I've now. got it I... you know what uh, uh, read the last of the Mohicans Moby Dick yeah Moby Dick is those awesome. are those, that's a manly ass those book. are um let's see uh to He's bitching about his liberal politics. What you need to do right now is uh, go book yourself a room in a shitty hotel uh, for three days and buy a copy of Atlas Shrugged 
and don't come out of that room <laughs> until you're done with it, and you will no longer be a muddle-headed liberal. Okay, uh, and then his especially if you especially if you decide that if you're going to like the worst part of town and you go door knocking and ask you know and ask how how much is the welfare helping them. <laughs> And then his final thing was, uh, how can I start learning to do manly things when all my friends are wimpy losers? Come to the Great Lakes Island bug out, number one. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. There's there's plenty of stuff on YouTube. Even my channel has some pretty cool stuff on there, Average Iowa Guy. But there's a lot of channels. Mine mine just has – mine's all over the map on what's on there. But there's some manly stuff on there. Um, and you're going to have to make an effort. I'm sorry. It's yep. like if you want to have a manly physique, you're either going to do what Jim does um, as part of Jim's everyday life. But if if that's not a if that's not an option for you, you want the manly physique, you're going to have to go to the gym. You know, and and I'm sorry, but I, like I'm just I'm just not a fan of that. I, I, yeah. But it's but that's just me. You know, I, I uh, the thing is one of the things that I'll say about about cutting wood is the fact that you will get hand-eyed coordination like you can't get it. Yeah, and it's you're developing a skill that's impressive, and it impresses yeah. and your swimming. friends. And, <laughs> and swimming, too. Is yeah, if, but, it, I mean, if, theoretically, if he lives in a city, he's going to be swimming at a, at a pool, which will also have yeah. a gym attached to it. So I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm speaking more to the people that don't have the same opportunities that you and I do, and, and I think a lot of times maybe that's what it is, is they just don't have the same thing. Yeah. But the guy really wants to try, so... Well, if he wants to come up here and pay me a couple grand, I'll be glad to let him cut my wood pile. Have some, have some manly lessons. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, come I'll to a Bark him. River grind-in and learn to do something cool and manly, like make yeah, knives. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you if you came up here, you I, I'll supply your food and uh, um, and and give you a bed, and I will give you some, some uh, demonstration on how to use a chainsaw, some safety precautions, that kind of stuff. Um, I'll let you use my Gransforth uh, uh, splitting mall, and I'll tell you, brother, you'll walk away with a skill, and it only costs you a couple grand. <laughs> we should have a manly camp. I think there we should have a hipster uh, conversion camp. There you go. There you go. That'll that'd probably work. I think it would. Um, uh, but uh, anyway, actually, so I've been told I've been told many times that I need to have uh, I need to start ho hosting foster kids. <clears throat> which part of me wants to do it, but the other part doesn't want to be tied down that much. But Yeah, it might be hard. Um, maybe Big Brothers mm -hmm. would be a little bit better. Having somebody in your house is very different. Um, but yeah, but be, you, can, you can be a mentor to people, and it doesn't take much time. Uh, you know, and, and you'd be surprised. Like, I, I've mentored people on and off throughout my life without even knowing I was doing it. But, you know, years later, they'll say something and, like, you have no idea how much effect you can have on people just by telling them that they can do something and that they're better than how, they're, how they currently are and that they can do anything they put their mind to. And just, mm -hmm. just even a, a quick conversation like that with somebody who's fucking up is... You know, say, look, you're better than that. I know you're smart enough to do whatever you want to do with your life, um, but you're going to have to stop being so much of a dumbass and, uh, you know, turn turn your shit around, you know. But anyway, yep. and, and get, get, I, you know, you, you have conversations like that every once in a while with somebody not even meaning to, and years later they come and say, 
man, what an effect that had, and blah, blah, blah. But, oh, yeah, but, um, yep, that's true. So the other thing you need to do if you want to be uh, manly is keep listening to the Knife Journal podcast. Uh, the other thing you can do is go on iTunes and give us a very manly rating. Uh, <coughs> yeah. Don't give us a wimpy one-star rating. Give us the full five stars because you have it in you to be manly. <laughs> I believe in you. I believe that you have the full five stars to give. I, I yep. don't think that you're, you know, you may look like the prince in Braveheart and you may have the same physique and the pasty skin and like the lack of muscle tone, but I know you have five stars in you. I know it. <laughs> and on that note, I gotta go cut wood. <laughs> I gotta go. I gotta go blow snow. You got? Did you get snow? Yeah, a couple inches. Not a huge amount. Yeah. Well, we we have. I don't know. We got probably six inches, but I plowed the other day. Nice. Yeah. Anything else? You got anything else? I got nothing. You got nothing? Okay. Well, let's do another one in a couple days. Get some catching up because we still got a bunch of stuff that we need to talk about. Yeah. But it's uh, we've been on for like. Yeah, two hours and four. Going back into the old days and almost three hour mark. Yeah. But it's but, um, a good podcast. It was good to start yep. the year off with a real big one. And thank you to uh, Mr. Anonymous who sent that excellent letter. Con- with And listen, guys, the first thing is to confess. Um, you need to have a full confession that, <laughs> that you're a hipster and you need to make amends for all of your douchey ways. Um, so if you voted for Obama, the first thing you need to do is never, ever vote again. <laughs> uh, uh, unless you're going to vote correctly for non-collectivists. And then, That's uh, funny. you know, the guy wants to change. And, uh, you know, I give him credit for that. And he, it was a very good topic. Yeah. So thank you for your yep. letter. Yep, yep, yep. We appreciate that. Yep. All right, guys. Find us on Facebook. Like us. Um Go to knifejournal.com, join the forums, and uh, send us questions at uh, podcast at knifejournal.com, and uh, we'll give them it's their due on the, on the podcast. And until next time, keep your knife sharp and your friends sharper. Bye. Bye-bye.